tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hello, friends. You're now listening to the Lifestyle, Leisure, and Sports Show. You never knew was two of those things. I think we can all acknowledge that if this fails, you two will be fired and I will remain. <laughs> so, no pressure. Bo Bishop, a regional media icon. Winner of Emmys. Purveyor of the good life. Sir, you don't know that for a fact. I and just I'm said it on the radio. Also, two guys this company named Employee of the Month. What are you talking about? Paul Hogan is Hulk Hogan's brother. Uh-huh. Look sure it up. Because it's Hulk sure Hogan. Is. That's his real name. One guy is from Australia. The other one is from Tampa. Maybe he's from Hollywood, brother. <laughs> Not brothers. Chops. Yes, they are. This is Bishop and Friends. Another Oops All Friends edition to kick off this week. Chops and Eric Reeser with you. Ryan Baker behind the glass running things on the board today. You know, the, the opening, we've had that for a while with the Paul Hogan, Hulk Hogan thing. Yeah, I was dead wrong about that. But I did see Crocodile Dundee 2 was on TV this weekend, and I almost clicked on it just to have a little bit more experience in the Crocodile Dundee world, but I didn't. So ultimately, I still have really no idea the difference between the two men. What did you choose over Crocodile Dundee 2? Um, there was... That's the new... That's the Los Angeles one? Yes. That was big in the 90s. Send the person to the big city. Gotta take him out of his element. Yeah, in the in the sequels, uh, you know, what, Babe 2, Pig in the City, that kind of stuff. Oh, they, I didn't know they made a Babe 2. Oh, yes. All right. They, yeah, they love that. Muppets take Manhattan. A lot of Jason goes to Manhattan was one of, of the Friday the 13th sequels. Oh, no, Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles is the third one. Oh, there's a third one. Crocodile Dundee 2, he's still in New York. Okay, I've well, only seen the first one, so, so that's all I can give you reference. Yeah, so of. Crocodile Dundee is just—that's not even sequel. They just bring him to the big city. That's yes. the whole—that's the plot of those movies. That shows you how little I know. But yeah, that—that that made me think of that. I also love the sequel of Going Back to the Shot because I've been to the shot twice this year for two different basketball games: one women's, one so men's. Two very different basketball games, but they were both upsets of the number two team in the country in that specific sport and a court rush. I, I don't know what the chances are here, and I don't know if the Buckeyes have any m- more chances to play a number two ranked team on either the women's or the men's side. There's only like four games left for the women's. There's five games left for the men. But I the chances of me never having been to a game where people stormed a court and then going to two in a row, both upsets of the number two team in the country, pretty low, I would think, especially with the way the men's team has been playing this year. There's no way you see that again. No. At least in person. It might happen at the Schottenstein Center again, where the number two team in the country comes in, walks out with a loss, but you will never be in person to see both of those. Yeah, and the I mean both games Pretty electric. Were, both games well, were really good from an entertainment standpoint. But I'd agree. I was media credentialed for the women's game, so I you know sat there and took some notes, and I was did, impressed. Did you and, cheer? No, I did not. You're not supposed to cheer. That's a big no no. But this one, I'm just You're in the normal stands. To. Oh yeah, I was. You, it's once you're in the building and you feel it, you, you can get 
sucked back in for this team, but they were down 8-0 to start, and I was like, eh, I think this is probably going to go the way that, that we think it's going to go. But no, they hung in there, and then they actually were the team that closed out the first half, and that put them in position to grow the lead in the second half and hold on just enough as Purdue tried to come back down the stretch of the last 10 minutes. Really fun to be in the building for it, and again, with the court storm and everything, but you could feel the energy and no, I've not seen this team play in person this year so far, but it looked like based on, you know, switching from TV to watching in person that that pickup that teams get when they have an interim coach and they all kind of rally behind it. That was very evident yesterday. So who knows what the last five games are going to bring for them? I still don't have it, this isn't flipping me over to, oh, I think they're going to make a run and they're going to be in a tournament and they're going to finish the, the season with momentum. But Do you want bit- to hire Jake Diebler? <laughs> I I'll say this. That's a hell of a like first tryout to it. I think he's, you know, I think there's a chance he's the interim and everything, but I, I said before the game, I was like, feels like a 10% chance that they stick with Jake Diebler. I think they're going to shoot for somebody outside the program, somebody who has led a team before, but hey, if you're going to put your name on it and say, I do want this job beating number two Purdue on your home court, very good start. Well, even if he doesn't land a head coaching gig next season, that's a hell of a I'm the interim and my first wins against the second ranked team in the country as interim head coaching gigs go. That's a good way to start. It's just this Purdue team, man, is so soft. They, uh, this is going to be yet another year. Cause on Saturday, they, uh, it was CBS sports did their version of the college football playoff ranking selection show where they had its top 16 tournament seeds. Mm-hmm. And Purdue was the number was the overall number one. And then the next day, they fall in their face of the Value City Arena. So you had Purdue, UConn, Houston, and the Arizona Wildcats were your first four top four. So three, one has already lost. Yes. I would venture to guess two more of that four will lose before the end of the year, even though there's only a handful of games left. Mm-hmm. Because every week, a top-ranked, like a top-six team loses to an unranked team. We had at least two, la- right? Wasn't the Kansas one early last week and then yeah. the Purdue one to end uh, the, the week end. with... An Ohio State team that had just fired its coach and had not been playing well at all, but they they figured it out in this one. The thing that stood out the most to me, and especially in the first half, and this is probably the change to to Jake Diebler and saying, okay, let's try to run it this way because whatever they were doing rotation wise and everything wasn't really working there at the the end of Holtman's tenure. The young guys were out there to the point huh. where. You know, I was far enough up that I do the. I don't even know if the white jerseys have their names on them, but either way, that was far enough up that I couldn't read it. And but I could see their numbers. They do not have the names on the back. Okay, just the numbers. Because I was looking at them and I was like, I was like, who is number twenty one? Like I don't know that off the top of my head. And then eventually he was at the line or something, and it said Devin Royal, and I was like, okay, we just. That shows you how little we've seen of Devin Royal and the Scotty Middletons of this team this year that I wasn't 100% ready to just call them out by the way they looked or their number. You know, I knew Roddy Gale. I could see Bruce Thornton, Evan Mahaffey, those guys who have had long minutes all season long. Zed Key's been around for a long time. When he came in off the bench, I knew exactly what it was. But you're talking about double-digit minutes from Devin Royal and Scotty Middleton, most of it in the first half. Royal, very important to that 14-2 to run at the end of the first half. And then even... Parks comes in. He only gets two minutes, but he made his first basket of the season. All the freshmen are playing. I mean, it was what was said at the beginning of the year. There's a lot of talent with a lot of these young guys on. I mean, the youngest team in college basketball. We've been it's, saying this all season. Why aren't the young guys out there playing a little bit whole, more? This whole thing is is very comical, and it's like, of course, this happens, right? Of course, the first game out of the Chris Holtman era, you're beating the second ranked team in the country, and you're doing it with with the youth that you 
think, hindsight being what it was, should have given this opportunity to earlier in this, uh, I'm not going to call it a tank, but that spiral they took in January, it felt like what after they gave up, that was an 18 point lead to Penn State, but that was back in December. And you kind of factor, all right, let's start seeing what can happen when you give these young guys more responsibility, more to do. Because you didn't think Jamison Battle was going to continue to shoot lights out for the entire season. You didn't really expect him to come in and do that right away. But it felt like there was a correlation when his offense struggled, when his when his numbers went down in terms of shots he was making and points he was scoring. It had a direct effect on Ohio State's offense. And then with a lot of the younger guys, the discussion was, well, they're not playing, they're not doing the, the little things defensively that make them playable in big minute situations. And it's like, well, defensively you stink anyway. Not so yesterday. What's somehow, the problem here? But- and then yesterday <laughs> has happened. And so it's very difficult to come from that without just cackling. Like I did a cup, like I did a minute ago, because I have no idea what to make of any of this. I don't think anybody really does. And we'll, we'll talk to Adam Jardy at 1030. And I'm interested to see what he thinks, but it's a very, it's very much a, where do you go from here? Ah. Yeah, what do you do with this information? Like, even if you're Jake Diebler, it's like, okay. Copy and paste the same starting five and copy and paste similar minutes in what would it be their game against Minnesota coming up on Thursday. Which they're trying to avoid a... A program historic, you know, a historic low in consecutive road losses. They're at sixteen, seventeen. Would solely take yep. that record. So that would be another thing. Like if they can add that and, and win a game on the road and break that losing streak, that would be crazy. But you, looking at it, because I was like, okay, so what was it like in their in their last win? The Wisconsin game got away from them, and a lot of guys ended up playing down the stretch. But they beat Maryland, and this was a double overtime game, so a lot of minutes to go around, and you only have seven players in in double-digit uh, point territory, and two of the starters fouled out in the game, in Akpar and Mahaffey against Maryland, so that's obviously foul trouble, and then them fouling out, that's going to result in other minutes. Bonner went for 37 in that one, probably spelling some of that, and then Devin Royal had 13, but Scotty Middleton only three in that game. Zed Key only eight in that game, so that's seven guys in double-digit figures for the Buckeyes in their last win against Maryland. Nine played double digit minutes in this one. That's only two more guys, but trust me, I mean, if you watched it and I was there in the building, it was apparent from the beginning that like, this is a very different rotation than what Holtman had done basically since the big 10 season started. And he shrunk the bench to basically about a seven man rotation. This was different. Yeah, this was different. This was a different team. This was a different atmosphere. I had, my my eyebrows raised when Gene said earlier last week or when he'd made the news and did the conference, or was it you know, he held court Wednesday, that he wanted to provide this team with a spark. And uh, that was interesting because – so what was Chris Holtman not doing to get said spark out of the team? And then I do think you saw a spark coming back, like you said, down 8-0. That felt to me watching – they're coming back from this. They'll you know make a, a little bit of a run, but it'll be down six, seven, eight at the half. They'll lose by double digits, and you know onward down this slide they go. And then whatever's going to happen in the off season, but they didn't quit. But they didn't look sluggish. They didn't look gassed. They looked everything that they hadn't looked in the past month and a half. Like this was back to games in December where they looked like they had a spark. They looked like they had intensity where they're actually now, again, this wasn't the prettiest basketball game you'll ever watch, but this wasn't, that's not supposed to be how it's done. It's supposed to be wins. College basketball is not about style points. You can get that in the NBA except for last night. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll get to what happened on a technically an NBA court last night. 
Yeah, I mean, and it was the they weren't getting to the line because Purdue doesn't get fouls called on them. So it that was, was hilarious. <laughs> like they're so soft. Purdue is with Matt Painter and Zach Eady bitching the late, whole time, well, most of the game, and then especially late they were going to them. It's like, well, now Big Ten officials aren't going to be officiating you the way you've been used to it for all of these years. And it showed to me why Zach Eady made the right choice to come back. I don't know how much eligibility he's got left. It feels like just keep coming his back. seventh year, but that dude didn't play in the NBA. No, um, but it's weird watching him because there are a lot of plays where it does look like he probably got fouled and there's a little bit of the, oh, he's just bigger than everybody. So they kind of let him get slapped around, but he also fouls on the other end and doesn't get called. So I'm like, ah, it kind of just goes both ways. So it, it it's more of a wash for him than anything. And he still ended up with eight free throw attempts and he, he sunk all of them. They were good at the line, 20 of 20, but guys also good, but just 10 of 11. And remember four of four of those were right at the end to, to seal this the game. This was balanced in terms of free throws and in terms of fouls called. Like, this was how it should have gone for the officials. And you're right, Zach Eady even had the most. And still, it just wasn't enough for him or Matt Painter. Like, these, so this Charmin Soft is this Purdue Boilermaker squad. Up next, uh, like we said, Jake Diebler. He had quite the debut as a head coach. We'll hear from him next. Plus, a, a few thoughts on the shot and scene center. Bishop and Friends on the fan. Unlike your deadbeat uncle, we'll never leave you stranded in a ditch when you were six. This promo may have been a touch too specific. The f- Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Not interested in Iowa football? Too bad. Shops will tell you about it anyway. This is Bishop and Friends. And there's no better time to sign up for Tipico Sportsbook and get in the betting action. With basketball, hockey, and the biggest college hoops tournament in March right around the corner, there's plenty of games to bet on and win big. Take advantage of Tipico's massive odds boost for the biggest payouts. Try Tipico's new parlays where you can pick how many legs you need to hit and cash in on your bets even if you miss a leg or two. And claim Tipico's new sign-up bonus now and get $100 in bonus bets when you bet $25. Sign up and enter the promo code THEFAN100 to get your bonus. Download the Tipico Sportsbook app today. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Ohio. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Chaps and Reese are with you today, Bishop and Friends. We talk a lot about the horseshoe and the Schottenstein Center on this show, so I thought it was only fair to give credit where credit is due. In truth, I do still think Nationwide Arena is the better arena by still probably a pretty wide margin. But for me, the Schottenstein Center, I think whatever they've done over the last few years, I don't know, it just had been so long since I had been to that arena as a fan. Um, they've they've opened it up. There's a lot more natural light. They the signage is new. There's a lot of scarlet and gray throughout. It doesn't feel as much like you're just walking through a concrete hallway. We were up in the in the club level, the 200 level as well. Ooh, fancy! That looked good. They have nice seating areas where you have windows out, and so you can see a lot of the athletic facilities in one direction. You can see uh, across. You can see the horseshoe and a little bit of campus uh, if you're on a different side of the arena. And overall, I will say. 
These were good improvements for the Schottenstein Center. Again, it doesn't make it, you know, one of the better arenas that I've ever been to, but it saves it a lot more than what it used to be. I actually enjoyed my trip out there. Um, and despite it also being an 18,000 seater, I don't know, you know, I mean, I know why there was probably a little bit more fervor for Caitlin Clark and the Iowa women's team sure. coming here a couple of weeks ago. But both ones close to a sellout, and the traffic was at least also easier getting into the men's game. Yeah, they're yesterday. saying eighteen three fifty three. It was pretty full, like that. but it was definitely not a sellout. But there were no like even the upper bowl was good. There were just seats that you could tell peppered throughout. I mean, there was like four seats in front of us. I imagine just people couldn't sell their tickets because of Purdue coming to town. Also, there was thirty five percent Purdue fans, probably black and gold. There, it yeah. never really got like super cheap. On the ticket market because I think the Purdue fans wanted to get in and kept that up a little bit. So there, no, it was not a complete sellout, but it was loud enough and people were into it both, both sides of fan bases too. Cause there were enough Purdue people in there that there was a boiler up chant at one point. And I, I think, you know, regardless of the win, I think just the effort, I think the crowd that was there, I think those things validate Gene Smith's decision last week, right? The, the timing of it, you know, is what it is, and I think everybody now can agree that the extension of Chris Holtman shouldn't have been given when it was, but for him to do what he did on Wednesday, and I was even wondering, I was like, wait, you couldn't get a spark with the other guy? You had to let him go to get a spark out of this team? I think you also helped galvanize a fan base a little bit. Now, the Buckeyes have two more home games this season before they go for the Big Ten tournament. One's against that team up north, the other against Nebraska. So you expect maybe on March 3rd, a similar crowd to what you experienced yesterday. I don't know what the hell it's going to look like for the Nebraska game, but maybe this is a thing to where G not only had to reward, or I don't know if reward's the right word for the players, but reward the, maybe reward isn't the right word in both scenarios, but to give the fan base and give this team something. Well, not only did it spark something seemingly for the team, I think it does ignite that little bit of hope back for the fan base, especially when you something go out there. Something to look forward to. It had been missing over the last year and year and change where you looked at this program and you said, what's what's being built? What can we have for this program to build off of? And, and there just wasn't anything. And now it feels like there is. Yeah, even the wins that they did have, none of them were like, oh, top of your resume. Even like that quad one idea, this one against Purdue, that is a quad one win. I don't all think, right. again, I don't think it's going to be a factor. Don't get super excited that this team <laughs> is going to all of a sudden turn it all around and make the Big Ten or the NCAA tournament. They'll be in the Big Ten tournament, but you're talking, you mentioned those two home games left, but that means three of them are on the road. And even with the extra spark, this is not a team that I'm ready to buy stock in on the road, especially in Big Ten play. But if you do want to buy stock in them and you you want to know, okay, what was different in this one? Well, here's interim head coach Jake Diebler postgame about how they got this done against Purdue yesterday. I told our guys before we not, we went out, let's play how we've practiced the last few days. There was a, there was a great sense of urgency and pace to what we were doing. Um, but I think you have to credit the leadership of our team. You have to credit our staff. And just this was, we've talked about family for three days. We've talked about how important that is. And I felt like we came together. We were a true family. We played like it. We coached like it. So uh, I think those two things, our staff and, and our, our players, the leadership of our players were critical. I like the, another thing I heard post game from Diebler's comments and Zed Key and every, you know, the players as well was that he said he had a conversation with Zed Key about coming off the bench because tall task, no pun intended, guarding Zach Eady, which was going to be mostly between Akpara, who was in foul trouble throughout this game, and then Zed Key coming in there. Zed Key, 
Much, much shorter than Zach Eady, but he is Everybody's always shorter. Everybody is. That's true. But he's always had long arms and he's always been able to Get do that. that. And Diebler talked about how they had spoken that when Zach Eady's down low, try to swipe at it. Try to try to knock it away. Get him out of his comfort zone if he brings the ball down. And Zed Key did that at least five times in the game. He caused turnovers on two of three of the times he swiped it away. And if you're just pesky against him, you can do a lot of that. But I think that's a good example of. Diebler saying post game that like oh just you know try to play with this intensity and the spark that we're feeling in practice and bring it to the game and at least one player there's an anecdote right there of he did that yeah twenty two points off of what fourteen boilermaker turnovers did nothing no and so I, I do think that that goes to his point where you you have guys that I don't know what the the case is there was just more activity yesterday everybody was just a little more handsy yesterday in, in, in terms of being at the right spot defensively and frustrating your opponent defensively. It was, was it Evan Mahaffey that got a, a clean block on Zach Eady late? <laughs> and it just, for me, it showed two things. It showed that there's gold in them hills with this team. And Zach Eady's just soft. Especially because Mahaffey had just missed a shot on the other end, and then he came and he back down, down and down to get right in play. the big man's face. Because it was one of those plays where you're like, ah, oh, you're just never getting enough offense out of Mahaffey. But then he goes around and does that, and you're like, that's why he's on the court. He's been that guy all season long for them. The other thing we noted in the first segment, Devin Royal, Scotty Middleton, double-digit minutes. Here's Coach Diebler on the minutes for the young guys. We've had a great deal of experience you know, up to this point in the season, and I think... I think you have to learn to lean into that. Certainly, you know, the youth of this team has been well documented, but we believe in the guys in the locker room. And one of the things we really wanted to do was get guys to like just exhaust themselves on the court. And we had felt like we had more guys than, than I can ever remember kind of like coach i need one and i I thought that was we'll we'll talk about that as a team i thought that was really fun to see and and guys stepped up even if it was you know austin parks in his limited minutes but had a had a huge bucket so it was was a lot of fun it's very similar to what we've talked about with the blue jackets over the last month or two basically that like this is what the season is now you're not really competing for the wins and losses of this year get the young guys out there get them experience and hey Something good might happen just from that anyways because they are talented players. They weren't just ranked highly in recruiting as a mistake. There can't be that many that were <laughs> that were mistakes. Unless everybody's starting to make a good argument for if they want to remain here, that they can't. You know, the guys that you have on this roster, there there will be some pieces moved in the offseason. Portal attrition is likely a factor, but if a Jake Debo would like to remain on staff, if you know you want to keep your starting you want to keep guys Within, you want to keep an Evan Mahaffey, you want to keep a Bruce Thornton, you want to keep a Roddy Gale Jr., then, then that's, more than, that's more than enough to move this program into the right direction. If, if, if that, that's the, the, the thing that they want to do. Real quick, probably the, you know, the, the leader of this team. He was certainly the leader at the beginning of the game yesterday, came out and scored the first eight points for him. Bruce Thornton post game on just this being a tough week for the Buckeyes, despite getting the win yesterday. This one, uh, my hardest, my, my weirdest, most dramatic times being a college basketball player just last past week. Um, it's not normal when your, your head coach get fired middle of the season that you finna play probably the most, probably could be a number one, uh, number one seed, probably in March Madness uh, coming up soon. Um, but I just told our guys who I, who I got right now, um, things happen, college basketball is a business. So we just took um, every day, one day at a time, three days out. We won that day, two days out. We won practice another day. And we kept doing that. Then leading up to the game, you just see your teammates with the confidence, with the swagger that about, about them 
that doesn't matter who we play. Um, we're going we're gonna to show how to play Ohio State basketball, and we showed it tonight. And he's probably the best example of a player who responded to what a, a weird week for that basketball team because, like I said, he went out there and was ready to go right from the beginning. And they were down eight nothing. Nobody was scoring. And he said, "Fine, I'll do it myself." <laughs> and he quickly went on kind of an eight an eight point personal run, and that got things going for the Buckeyes. And really, it was different after that. After he started scoring. Then they had some mojo. It's unfortunate, and I think a little bit of an indictment that it took that to get this out of them. Well, but maybe that's why the coach got you know, fired. So, un- unfortunate yeah. that it took that, a little bit of indictment that it took that. Because yeah. where was it? Right? Coming up, of course, we liked threes getting the promotion to linebackers coach. What did Ryan Day have to say about it? Bishop and Friends right here on The Fan. Matty Ice has a large tattoo on his calf of LeBron eating a lion. I have nothing else to say. Rockman and Ice. Weekdays from noon to three. The Fan. Us. What's up? What's up, man? So Bishop and Friends, Oops All Friends edition here, and we had the news that came out Thursday night, and we were talking about it in the show on Friday. James Laurinaitis, who used to sit right here in this studio on Bishop and Laurinaitis before we became Bishop and Friends, he is now, after a year of being a GA at Notre Dame, a year being a GA here at Ohio State, promoted to linebackers coach, but... That was basically all the information we got. And we got some other contract stuff of, of people going, but like, what is that going to look like? How does that feel? How did you get to this? And then 11 Warriors had a chance to talk to Ryan Day on Friday. So now we have that. Here's Coach Day on having James Laurinaitis on the staff. Well, first off, he knows Ohio State. He loves Ohio State. Uh, he has credibility with the players. He has credibility with recruits because he's done it. And not only did he do it, he did it at an unbelievable uh, level. He did it in the NFL. But, but I, I've been impressed with the way that uh, he's you know, transitioned from being a player to a coach. But I think when you look at James, when you look at Brian, those guys were guys who you know, maximized themselves on the field. And so you know, as they you know, transition from being in the NFL to college, they use a lot of things they learned, especially in the, the latter years of their NFL career, to help guys on the field. And so uh, I've seen you know, so many great things from him. Had an opportunity to see him on the road the last couple um, weeks. Did an unbelievable job there. There's a lot of momentum. We felt like it was the right move. Yeah, I think that's... Can you play the first part of that again? Sure. It's our job every year to identify what areas need to be. Oh, wait, that was the, the other one here. How about this one? Well, first off, he knows Ohio State. He loves Ohio State. <laughs> uh, he has There's like a bunch of pots and bands. He's in the meal room in the kitchen? <laughs> Well, it was, I, I, I don't know exactly what the... It was a coach's the, clinic that they were Okay, at. they were at a coaching clinic, because I saw the video of it, and it's, he's, he's just... Hallway. Yeah, he's just kind of standing there, talking to uh, whoever it was at 11 Warriors, probably Bagging uh, pots Dan and Hope, behind yeah. him. Yeah, but I, the, it's how he finishes that clip, though, of talking about James Laurinaitis being on staff, and I think this was the, the selling point for it, and what they were like, well, if we're going to do this, like it has to be somebody who can go out on the road, can sell the Ohio State program to recruits. And no, you don't have a lot of doubt that he has the knowledge base, James does, to do that. But can he actually do it? Can you actually go out there and, and get this done? But being a GA, you're not allowed to to go on the road. He brought that linebacker recruit, Peyton Pierce, basically over from Notre Dame, but he could only talk to those guys when they were on official visits and doing so. The chance to be that 10th assistant kind of in... You know, you know, in a uh, temporary stance while they were figuring out the rest of the staff and going on the road the last couple of months. I think that proved, okay, he's got that factor. And then his actual on-field acumen, 
how can you doubt it? I think one, his results have been good, both as a GA at Notre Dame and Ohio State, and then two, he's James Laurinaitis. Yeah, I don't think there's a more legitimate candidate for that position, uh, and you've seen it over the last year. You know, when he's as he's been a part of this coaching staff in whatever form or fashion, there have been recruits that said, "Yeah, that he's one of the reasons that I wanted to come to Ohio State." He's been. You know, great conversation that we've had. He he understands my desire to get to the NFL because that's for a lot of these kids. You know, he's he's a three star that made it to the NFL, and he sits right now on top of the Los Angeles Rams all time tackles list. And so, kids that are three stars or four stars that are getting love, of course, because they're three and four stars. But th- there's the path. Like I, if I can work hard and be that, then what's in front of me is exactly where I want to go. So he's got legitimacy in all of that. An incredible football mind, as I'm sure our wonderful listeners have heard over the years. But then it also factors to me to be a succession plan in place. We heard Jim Knowles and about him wanting to go coach as a head coach somewhere. He interviewed for Duke in the offseason. But this factors to be when or if Knowles leaves for another job, a head coaching job. You've got defensive coordinator in waiting. Former Buckeye. All of that works, right? That's very sellable to everybody. It's a similar trajectory, a similar path that they had Bryant Hartline on, a path that I still believe Bryant Hartline's on. You know, Chip Kelly's here for, what, a year or two? And then whenever, when and wherever he pops off to, it's that natural succession plan in place so that you've got something that, one, works well into the future, and that, two, you can't negatively recruit against. Yeah, so Brian Hartline took over wide receiver coach in 2018, and I believe he was a GA the the year before that as well or maybe 2018 was the year that he was a GA but you're talking about then five years later he was named offensive coordinator going into last year now it was a little bit not like full-on offensive coordinator I don't think he got the keys the same way that Chip Kelly is getting the keys handed over to them who now is offensive coordinator but it was like on an his internship list. right and I guess in, in in a way I don't know I don't know if that's James's goal, though, either, you know, from a personal standpoint, if he wants to jump up to defensive coordinator. But I do think that the idea of you can have your defensive version of Brian Hartline is definitely available to them. And that's why I always thought the James Laurinaitis hire was going to be a slam dunk for them. But they're, you know, the idea of why were they holding back on this or why did it take so long to get here? Maybe they were looking for another defensive line coach. Were they going to look for another special teams coordinator? The defensive line one is the one where it seems like, well, that's still going to be a question mark for the years to come. They did get that new contract out to Larry Johnson, so he's going to be through this year and the 2025 season under contract, at least. But it does, you know, every year it feels like he's a candidate to possibly retire. And so they got to figure out that succession plan there. I don't think they need to worry too much about special teams coordinator. Guys, it's pretty cool because you talk about the defensive version of Brian Hartline. I feel like they possibly have two of those right now because Tim Walton, although he's a little older and more experienced, Experienced, he's kind of on that path too right now because what he's doing in recruiting in that defensive secondary is pretty awesome too. So it's awesome to see these former Buckeyes coming in and excelling like this. Yes, and it's great to finally have that because in those years where the Buckeye defense dipped off, there was a pretty clear indication of why. If you looked in the recruiting stats, yes, they were they were great overall recruiting numbers. But some of the times it was lifted by all the great offensive players they were getting, which isn't a bad thing. But when you actually look up the makeup of the class, it's like they needed a few more dudes on defense. And now I do think they have a staff put together that is going to deliver better dividends on the defensive recruiting side. Especially at the linebacker position. It seems like that was an afterthought. They still recruited 
cornerbacks. They still recruited defensive ends, but the recruiting at the linebackers for some reason really dropped off. And you know James is going to up that. Yeah, and Steel Chambers worked out, but like that was a converted running back over to linebacker, and he ended up yes, starting let's, two seasons. Let's give that a Viking funeral. Linebackers playing running back and running backs playing linebacker. Yes. We're done. Can we be done with that? <laughs> Figure it out when they come. Yeah, because we had a double flip. No more. <laughs> Trainum came over from linebacker, and Steel Chambers went over to linebacker. Yeah, we don't need any more of that, but what we do need more is a linebacker on the staff. Here's James Laurinaitis talking to Clay Hall of WSYX about what he brings to the coaching staff. Well, I think there's just there's a standard that so many before us have set, and I think that when you come to Ohio State to play linebacker, you're expected to be the best in the world at what you do. And so that was that way when I showed up. Um, I was just a kid from Minnesota. I knew about A.J. Hawk, Bobby, and Anthony. I had no idea about all the greats that were before, you know, with, with Randy Gratishar, Tom Cousineau, yep. even uh, Marcus Merrick, who holds our career tackle record with 570-plus, which is incredible. Um, but it's about knowing who came before you and trying to uphold that standard, maybe even raise it, and uh, get the linebacker position to where it needs to be, which is the best in the country. As we said, there's nobody that they could have put on the staff that's going to know what it takes to be a linebacker at Ohio State and what it means to be a linebacker at Ohio State and what level that should be played at than James Laurinaitis, a three-time consensus All-American. Look that up. Look up that list of how many three-time consensus All-Americans there are. There's not many in the history of college football. And I think just with you, know, you had talked about just how how much talent was being recruited on the offensive side of the ball compared to how much defensive talent was being recruited. You saw that on the field; it would manifest itself in game situations where Ohio State scoring a bunch of points, but also giving up a bunch of points. And it was just maddening over the past four or five seasons how that was the case up until last season. Now I know we we've talked about the 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 problems with the offense for last season, but now this does factor, at least on paper, because again, a game hasn't been played yet, that you now have a football Ferrari on the offensive side of the ball, an actual silver bullet caliber defense that's going to be a nightmare to scheme against. Real quick on that, too. I like. I still think Ohio State can be one of the best offenses, if not the best offense in the country, but I do think there is something happening right now. It happened in both the NFL this season and college football. The offenses got brought down a little bit. I, you know, the the advent of the the too high safety, a lot of base nickel across the country and and in the NFL. Now the offense numbers do seem to be coming down, but I think that is coinciding with a, a defense learning how to, you know, both at Ohio State, but also just around different programs, learning how to take down some of the way that the offenses were high flying. But I, it's a great time for Ohio State to figure out that balance because I think points are going to start to be at a little bit higher of a premium. And by that, I mean, Ohio State probably averages like in the 30s instead of in the 40s. But that's still, you know, eight, ten points possibly per game. And you're going to especially need a defense that can adjust to every every scenario and situation now with four teams coming into the Big Ten that they like offense. Defense, eh, sometimes. Up next, something needs to be done about All-Star Games. Bishop and Friends on the fan. Winners of the prestigious Platinum Microphone Award every year given to the best radio station in the world. Uh, No need to look it up. It's real. The fan. Taking the art of sports radio and day drinking to a whole new level. You're listening to Bishop and Friends. Bishop and Friends, we're sponsored by Awaken 180. Fast, sustainable weight loss without medications. The solution for weight loss, Awaken 180 Weight Loss. 
may need to uh, lose the weight on these All-Star weekends. So we had the Pro Bowl and the Pro Bowl games a few weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, we had the NHL All-Star break, and the Blue Jackets came back, finally playing some hockey last week. Then we have the NBA All-Star break this past weekend. And right after I finally watched Cavs game, and I was ready for more Cavs games, and now they're they're gone. What do they play next, Wednesday? Something like that? I think it's Thursday. Thursday? Okay, so we'll, we'll get some of that back. I... I was at a restaurant on Friday night and saw a little bit of it. I find Saturday is best through like highlights rather than even mm-hmm. watching live anyways. It'll just come up on Twitter and I'll see it. And I thought about it at one point last night. Um, but we had we went to the game and we had been walking around campus. It had been a pretty active weekend, so I was kind of tired anyway. So I, did, I wouldn't even made it to the end of the game. But I never even turned it on because I was like, ah, what's the point? Then I walk in this morning. And I see 211 on the bottom line for the winning squad. What the East All Stars won? Conference All Stars 211 to 186. Yep. But again, didn't even check it out. Did you watch any of it? No. I, I so- saw I saw the festivities Friday and Saturday night, but I didn't pay any attention to the game live last night because I figured I'd see all I needed to see on social media in the morning. Yeah. So the the this isn't NBA specific. That's why I listed the other ones. I don't think any of these All Star games really work at all. The home run derby for some reason, even though I don't watch a ton of baseball, I like that one. It's the best. I think their game is the best because you can kind of half it and it still looks pretty much like baseball because a lot of you know there's a lot of dead time in baseball anyway so all the guy has to do is make a few plays make a few throws they're pretty you know they can be routine stuff as long as you don't have pete rose running over somebody at home plate and ending somebody's career you're going to be pretty safe there basketball has probably the second safest to that if you actually are watching the game yes there you can tell that there's a lack of effort but if a guy goes up for a dunk or if a guy hits a three that's still, we like watching people do things on basketball courts. So it, it kind of has that old that old pizza joke. I'll say pizza for it. Pizza's always good. You know, like good pizza is good pizza. Bad pizza's still good pizza. Like yeah. it's still pizza. That's what basketball is, I feel like. But either way, these aren't worth watching. And I don't think they net anything for the leagues. But they are still getting enough viewers. And they're still making money off it. It's something you can give your your partners throughout the league. Because, hey, everybody gets those an All-Star Weekend. Because the NBA, they're all arenas. So you, you get to bring that about, around. So I get why they have them. But there is becoming every single year uh, it, when you also coincide it with how many viewing options we have what's the point in watching these all-star games and how bad are the ratings or the performances or the effort or the give a damn level of the players in it going to have to be before a league makes a real like sweeping change and really tries to come up with something different because this old formula of it doesn't work for me i still know if there's anything they can do i mean yet adam silver last night was not a fan of how many points were scored in this and just how unserious everybody took it i think it was uh, Carl Anthony Towns, maybe, or Anthony Edwards, excuse me, that had said that it, nobody's taking it seriously. And nobody should for the most part because it's just an exhibition. I mean, to your point about if there's anything, there's just nothing else on. There, there's no, Sports is not offering us anything. Like there's the Genesis Invitational in golf. There was supposed to be the Daytona 500, but that's today. And so for your weekend, one week removed from the Super Bowl, there isn't anything. And so I, I think for this, for the NBA, and for every you know All Star weekend that leads up to a game of some sort, I think it's just that sports ability or that league's ability to take over a town, 
to gobble in more conversation that you're normally going to have, like the NHL All-Star Weekend, that's just taking up more conversation, and it overtakes the city of Toronto. With the NBA one, it's similarly with the city of Indianapolis. It's all theirs for now, and the Combine will come in, what, a week from today, and it won't even, it'll be like the NBA wasn't even there. But it's everything else that surrounds the game for the NBA that's just more interesting. There was the stuff Saturday night with the three-point contest, the dunk contest, the Steph Curry versus Sabrina three-point contest, and there was Friday night, you had exhibition games. But there's nothing, in my opinion, that the NBA can do to make this a more quality game. This is just uh, you you celebrate for and give your players a week off. I stand by my claim when we were talking about the Pro Bowl that I think this would work better for all the leagues. They could make some sort of agreement, figure this out, figure out a time to have it. I think the time to have it really that would make the most sense. Somebody likes the summer anyways. Bring all the all-stars from the, the, the four major leagues, the NHL, Major League Baseball, NBA, and NFL. Bring them together during what would be Major League Baseball's all-star break and have some sort of crazy cross-sport promotional all-star event. I, I, you could have them play different sports against each other. You could have the basketball players try to play baseball. Something. Well, they kind of had that Friday there. night because you had I think Micah Parsons and CJ Stroud were on. One was on team Stephen A. And one was on team okay. Shannon. So they were doing that. Like that's cross sport. And that I think works pretty well. Again, it was probably, actually probably the most competitive thing of the whole weekend. And too. really a dead time in the sports calendar. You know, there, what there is college basketball that's peppered around, but for professional sports, this is the chance for the NBA to kind of dominate conversation in the weekend. And I don't want to too much. I don't want to tinfoil hat this too much. But if this is a regular, somewhat competitive basketball game, are we making as much the day after than a ridiculous, what, 397 point performance? I think I'm still thinking about it in the same way because it's not like the NHL one made headlines for being absurd. It did not. But. I also didn't watch it, and I don't care about it. And I because there's enough hockey games, there's enough basketball games with basketball players playing basketball. There's enough football games with football players playing football. There's definitely enough baseball games with baseball players playing baseball. But we like on television celebrities coming together and doing things that you don't normally get to see them to do. And I think this would be a more fun event for everybody. Ah, sure, is it gimmicky? But so are, so is everything else. Real quick on the Saturday night stuff, because you talked about that a little bit. Max McClung is not an NBA player. No. So why does he keep getting to... He, now he's won the dunk contest Twice. two years in a row? Oh, he's got a two-way deal. So he's, he's played in like... Technically... He has not played an NBA game this year. Not this year. I think he's seen minutes last year. But yeah. I, and it was after the dunk contest. Yeah, but he's a name, right? I guess. So he has a name now. He created a name for himself last year. I, I was going to say this, just thinking out loud. You move the actual game to Saturday night. You move everything else to Sunday. You move all the pomp and circumstance, the three-point contest, the dunk contest. That's on Sunday night. Like That's the crown jewel of NBA. It becomes NBA All-Star Weekend, and you make the game less about it. But the game there. Hmm. Because I, I, everything else is more fun than the All-Star game. I, I think that from a scheduling standpoint, you're right. That could work a little you've bit still better. still got a couple days off after Sunday but I to don't. get your guys rest because the Cavs are playing the Magic on Thursday. So everybody's got time to come back from their vacations if they took one. I don't think I'd be more likely, though, to watch the game on sun, on, on Saturday night. I probably would be more likely to check out live the events of Saturday night on Sunday, though. I, I, I could see that. the glowing. Well, I don't understand why they didn't just play the All-Star game on the LED court. The LED court was cool. During the celebrity one, it was sponsored by Ruffles, and they had this like dipping chip three-point line that would move throughout the game. If they hit a certain amount of shots in a row, the court would light on fire, and they'd be on fire. 
it, that's where we're going to go. Just make it as theatrical as possible and give us that. You can entice me with gimmicks. You cannot entice me with exhibition. No, because, again, we see these guys play basketball all the time, and usually they care a lot more than they do in this one. So they're going to continue to rate. They're going to continue to make money. So the leagues are going to continue to do them. But I'm done watching All-Star Games, really, completely. It can't be smooth sailing for all six new Big Ten slash SEC members joining this summer. So who's it not going to go well for? Bishop and Friends on the fan. Here's a listener tweet. Are men and bones stupid in real life? Yes. Yes, they are. Common Man and T-Bone. Weekdays from 3 to 6. The fa- Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Sports conversation that's worthy of a toast. Or at least a stiff drink. You're listening to Bishop and Friends. Chaps and Reese are with you until noon today. We'll talk to Adam Jardy about the Buckeye basketball team. Hey, it went over Purdue. Interim coach, five games left. That's at 10.33 today. Before we get into talking about some of these new coaches and what it's going to be like joining the SEC in the Big Ten this upcoming season, one more thing on the All-Star stuff, because you mentioned uh, Anthony Edwards talking about, yeah, the players, they don't really want to go that hard. They don't really really care about it. And one of the things, I believe it was him who who listed it, but it could have been somebody else reading through the comments that had multiple players post-game. Obviously, they're All-Stars. It's the All-Star game. But it was the idea that, well, guys don't want to go out there and, and get hurt for a game that, that doesn't mean anything. And except for football, which football, really, they don't play it at the NFL level that much 11 on 11 outside of the games. There's not very many instances of right. really full go football, especially in the NFL. There's not that many, you know, the players union had that rule changed years ago about the padded practices and everything. But for the most part, all the other sports, even hockey, which is a much more higher contact sport, about plays hockey at practice. Basketball is, you know, there are drills and everything, but I would imagine that at just about every practice, there is a scrimmage as well. Baseball is, I mean, everything is just what you're doing. So I don't buy the whole idea like you don't want to get hurt for something. No, you don't want to get hurt in the All-Star game. And it would feel like, oh, that was for nothing. But you play so much basketball, and I would imagine that you are competitive when you're playing at practice or in any sort of pickup game that you hear about during the summer and everything. I don't buy that one because it just doesn't really make much sense numbers wise about why is this one different? Why can't you go hard here when all you do is play basketball? If you're going to get hurt, that's it's the same amount of chances happening anytime you're on the court, really. And I don't think going hard really changes that. And in some ways could probably even make you more likely to get hurt. I do appreciate when players are like, yeah, we didn't care. <laughs> just, just tell the truth. Just tell the truth to us like because we can. You, you can't fool like the eyes like there are times where you can maybe uh, you know with uh, the NHL you got three on three so it's faster paced and you know even with baseball you can get kind of fake intensity with the NBA you can't so just don't tell us don't don't tell us it's gonna matter it's gonna mean anything I, I know Adam Silver I think before the game said it was gonna be a different feel this year and then it was even worse of a competitive performance than it had been ever and I, I think for this the, for all of the all-star things, is there anything that they could do to get you to seriously tune in? Like, does it? What would make it appointment viewing for you? 
Because I don't think there's anything. Anything the NBA could do, anything the NHL could do. The baseball all-star is in the middle of the week, so that makes it better for me because I'm looking for stuff to watch anyway. But on the weekend, it's just like, eh, I don't care. And there's nothing really you can do to get me to care. Yeah, it's almost it almost goes the opposite way. It's like, oh, I don't have to worry about the NBA this weekend because <laughs> it's the All Star break and there aren't any games, and, and so it goes that way. I think that the idea of like the cross sports and coming together and like seeing that that would definitely be enough to get me to tune in the first time. But how good would it have to be for like subsequent years right. to be interested? You'd have in general, it? you'd have general interest, but. How I just long think, would it keep you? How long until that interest wanes? And then is it enough to bring you back for another iteration of an all-star? If players aren't going to care, maybe just get rid of That's the Just get rid of the game. Just have your stuff around it. All-stars come out and yeah. do this stuff. The NFL kind of did that. I mean, there's a flag football they game. Did that. that's, yeah, they, they just got rid of the game. And I think that works the best because then players don't have to feel like also that they're completely being shown up in their own sport. I think that's the problem is nobody wants to go hard because nobody wants to play bad in the all-star game or get or get posterized in the all-star game so they all just kind of let it all happen around them and basically the only person who does anything active is who who has the ball yep other than that everybody else is just kind of standing there letting the game happen around them but enough on all-star games on to sec and big 10 obviously adding four new teams in the big 10 two new teams in the sec this year and i saw this article this morning Texas, they are set to approve an extension that they had decided to work on and give to Steve Sarkeesian earlier this year. So his average annual compensation is now going to be in the 10 plus million dollar range. So one of the highest paid coaches and it's through 2030, but it got me thinking, okay, 2030, that's what six more seasons Mm -hmm. for him there, at least under contract and coaches don't always make it to the end of their contract, but I wanted to start thinking about it in the sense of Texas going to the SEC along with Oklahoma and then those teams joining the Big Ten. Well, which coaches do I think are in the best spot right now to get into the league and have a good first year? And what are they going to do over the like first little tenure, like the first five years or so? And I think that this one, starting with Steve Sarkeesian and what he has going for him as far as the contract extension, I think Texas is probably the healthiest right now. Maybe Oregon. Of the of the six teams joining it's these major for sure, it's for sure Texas, at least in my opinion. I mean, they're one of the final four teams last year, and they're bringing a lot of the same pieces back from that. And they've got a quarterback. They've got a known commodity at the most important position in sport. Like Oregon, yes, totally. I mean, is it like a team? Probably. It, you, you get wait to see how Dylan Gabriel fits in with everything, but he's a nice plug and play piece that's played everywhere. So you're not really worried about if if there's going to be anything he cannot do because he's done it at Central Florida, he's done it at Oklahoma, and now he's going to get the chance at the furthest school probably from UCF geographically. Like he made the whole trek, he did <laughs> yeah. the or- he did the Oregon Trail, but it's it's absolutely Sark because of Quinn and even Quinn's backup. Like if Malik Murphy hadn't transferred, like that's still the best quarterback room. Well, still the best quarterback room west of the Mississippi. Yeah, and it's also a proven quarterback room, whereas all the guys that's at Ohio a better State word for right it. Now, it's a it's the most proven quarterback room in the country. I guess we haven't really seen Arch play much in uh, the yeah, backup. he's got thirty stars, <laughs> but the backup transferred. So, eh, but either way, with Quinn Ewers, I mean, he's probably the best returning quarterback this year. Some people are really starting to feel good about Carson Beck. 
That's great. I, you know, Georgia's talented. I think that's going to be fine. But yeah, sticking with the these teams, I think, yeah, Texas has the best chance to. I mean, they were just in the playoff. Obviously, Oregon, had they beaten Washington, would have been in. Washington, they were in a bit Twice. of a rebuild. Oregon had, a twi- Oregon had two shots. And they, they didn't do either of them. So, no, I do think it's going to be Texas that's going to come into the SEC and have a chance to really compete because they've got the players figured out. You've got Sark, who understands the SEC, coming from you know being just a couple of years under Nick Very Saban. Very comfortable transition for him. But that's you know starting to work out a little bit better. The higher Bama guy has been a mantra in the SEC for a while now. But obviously, Kirby Smart got it, and then Texas was able to go out and uh, – and, and make it all the way to the college football playoff this year. And they played a really competitive game against Washington to uh, in the second semifinal this year. And I think that they have the best shot of these new six to get there on the flip side. Who has the, the hardest job? I mean, the real answer is UCLA. Yeah, I, I think was going to say Deshaun Foster and the Bruins are coming in with the tallest task, but I don't know what expectations are going to be like. Right. Well, were That's, they going to be yes. even with Chip Kelly still helming the ship at UCLA? Probably not high because I think we had Ben Bolch on Friday. He was mm-hmm. like, they're still in like the third tier of programs in the Big Ten. And the response to the expectations will also be different for yeah. UCLA with Deshaun Foster in his first year. He's a former player. He's very popular with the current players. He's a very popular uh, alumnus from UCLA and Brian Kelly, or sorry, not Brian Kelly, Chip Kelly going, no in, going into this season. Definitely had a little bit of hot seat going for them. That like, hey, if it doesn't come together, they were probably going to to make a move. Anyways, I don't think it's the same with Deshaun Foster, but I think that UCLA in year one is going to have the hardest route to like even getting to like bowl eligibility. I think five and seven is something that could like happen to them this year, and yeah, that's that's going to be a tough job to then turn around for Deshaun Foster being in his first time as a head coach. I think the first coach, though, in this group that gets fired is Brent Venables of Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma is going to have a very tough transition into the SEC, very different than what I think Texas is ready to hit the ground running. Venables better this year at Oklahoma, yeah. but still lost to Texas. Has not, you know, haven't really sniffed the Big 12 title game, have not been in contention for the college football playoff so far under Brent Venables after he came over after being the defense coordinator at Clemson. And I think that there is somewhere where the expectations are going to coincide with another down year for their expectations and Venable's seat is going to get hot. I don't know if he's going to be after this year, but it would be surprising to me if Brett Venables was the head coach at Oklahoma in 2026, I would say. Yeah, I was saying that I was saying something similar coming into this season for Venables and the Sooners, but I I don't know, you know, I I don't actually know who they're going to be playing at quarterback. For Oklahoma, I mean, you lose Gabe, uh, Dylan Gabriel to the transfer portal, but they've got quite the road to hoe. Um, again, game at, again, they got Texas, they got Auburn, and Tennessee before the Red River. Don't call it a shootout. They got to go to Old Miss and then Alabama and at LSU to round out the season. So they were tw- they were ten and three last year. It was good for second in the Big Twelve. They did win the Red River. Can't call it a shootout. So I think that gives him. Probably, like you said, that that one year of that one year to have a marginal success because that schedule that I just laid out it, it that would be tough for anybody, and you you don't have the Tuscaloosa for on the schedule anymore because he's out. But you still have teams that what all of them that I mentioned have college football playoff ap, you know aspirations at the very least, and you got Tulane on that schedule, Houston second week of the season. So this sooner thing, it, it's going to be really 
I think fascinating to watch from a standpoint of we're not fans of Oklahoma, but we do want to see how this works out. I think the another the other most interesting one in this grouping because we, we talked about Deshaun Foster at UCLA. I think Jed Fish has a tough job at Washington to joining the Big Ten and coming off, you know, arguably they're one of their best teams of all time. I know Washington's won a national championship. They were in the playoff at one point w- during the four team one. It wasn't as good as this team here, but now Michael Penix is gone. Your head coach is gone. You're, you're restarting this as you join a new conference. But Lincoln Riley is one that is super interesting because two years ago, he was maybe the hottest commodity in college football head coaching. And then he goes and they, he wins another Heisman. He gets another quarterback to, to win a Heisman his first year at USC. And it says, okay, if they can just get their defense working, can they get it? This is his shot. He fired Alex Grinch. They get a chance to get a new defensive coordinator in there, and it doesn't have to be great for them. It just has to get some stops, like just get a few, and so the offense can figure it out, but are they prepared to replace Caleb Williams? Is Miller Moss, who we saw play really well in their bowl game, is he somebody who's going to be the next great Lincoln Riley quarterback, or if they falter again and they have another year like that where you're talking four or five losses, is that a time that USC is going to put some real heat under Lincoln Riley's chair, or will it put enough uncomfortableness for Lincoln Riley himself? Because he seems, there's no scores on this. I don't know the man personally, of course, but he seems like a perfect candidate to make that jump to NFL offensive coordinator or even head coach. And people would be interested in that because of what he's done offensively and the players he has coached to, you know, NFL level already in Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. And now Caleb Williams, who looks like he's going to be the number one overall pick in this year's draft, but they're going to be the one over this first few years in the big, in the big 10 for USC. What is going to be the, the reasoning behind what Lincoln Riley is doing. Are they going to keep him from a university standpoint or does Lincoln Riley still even want to be in this situation? I think they see what happens and then they find an amicable split. Like that feels to me that there are enough NFL teams that would want a Lincoln Riley, maybe as a head coach or even an offensive coordinator that they could find a, we're just going to part ways. They're not going to have to fire him after the end of this season. Cause I don't even know what his buyout would be, but yeah, it feels like that more so than Oklahoma is headed for disaster quicker. Yeah, I would agree. Do you think any of the six win a national championship before 2030? No. No, I think Sark is your best chance. They're going to make the playoff? May, maybe Texas. I'm going to say this is going to be a lazy way out. Ask me next year. Okay. <laughs> give, I, but me, yeah. give me a year of this thing because maybe Texas... But it does feel that they are expanding the playoff, but the teams at the very tippy top aren't really going anywhere. I think it's less likely, and I think that the you know the other thing we just laid out about Lincoln Riley is the more likely path we see happen there. But if he does, if things hit right, USC that's a real wild card for yeah they could be there to be competing for the national championship. But I don't have a ton of confidence after what I saw last year. General Booty is still on Oklahoma's football yeah. roster. Andrew Bowman as well. So it factors into a quarterback competition for the Sooners in the spring. Yeah, we'll see how that goes for him. Coming up, the Pac-12 there on life support. But what's the health status of the rest of the Power Five? Bishop and Friends on the fan. We're the girthiest radio station in the history of radio. Uncomfortably girthy. This promo is uncomfortable. The Fan, Ohio's girth destination. Drink recommendations, movie reviews, sports discussion, and whatever the hell Reeser does. This is Bishop and Friends. 
Uh, there's no better time to sign up for the Tipico Sportsbook and get in on all the betting action with basketball, hockey, and the biggest college hoops tournament in March right around the corner. It's madness. There's plenty of games to bet on and win big. Take advantage of Tipico's massive odds boost for the biggest payouts. Try Tipico's new parlays where you can pick how many legs you need to hit and cash in on your bets even if you miss a leg or two. Claim Tipico's new sign-up bonus now. Get $100 in bonus bets when you bet $25. Sign up now under the promo code THEFAN100. Again, that's THEFAN100 to get your bonus. Download the Tipico Sportsbook app today. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Ohio. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You were saying in the break there that you, you weren't so sure about even Texas what we were talking about. I decided like, they're back. They're winning a title before 2030. Oh, so now you're back to, yeah. to them in? Texas back. What if I could give you those six teams joining the Big Ten and the SEC or Ohio State and Georgia over that same time Ohio period. State and Georgia. I'm not a complete moron. <laughs> that one does seem pretty safe, yeah. but I don't We're going to see a lot more parity in terms of Final Fours, but I, I still think national championship games are largely going to equal some Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama. Like even with uh, the change at Bama, it still factors. They'll like I can't imagine them not a part of it. There's no reason to think that Kirby Smart's team isn't going to be winning more championships, but. I think recent memory has, you know, led us to, it's really hard to, to keep it going and to, to keep your team up there. I mean, Urban Meyer, second year here at Ohio State, won a national championship, never won another one. Jim Trestle, second year here at Ohio State, won a national championship, didn't win another one. Ryan Day has not won one in, what, six, five or six years so far going on. We thought Dabo Sweeney and Clemson were going to be here to stay when they won two out of three they had their run it is done yeah so that's my only point is like we it does seem that simple that like yes these teams are going to be there but were we just spoiled by the nick saban era and thinking that they're going to be able to do this like hey lsu look at they finally put it together they found a quarterback two years later ed orgeron's fired anyways yeah well saban set such unrealistic expectations i do think now there is going to be less of one team but still a lot of the same teams fighting for that title I think the weird thing about the, the 12, title game, I mean, like we're going to see a, a ton of teams in the actual playoff, but only a select few make it to that final game. I think the 12 team playoff is going to see a lot of teams that you maybe wouldn't expect to make it to the top eight, maybe even a, a, a team here or there in the final four. But generally, the championship window will still be two of those teams that most people would have had in their final four of a 14 playoff. It just happens to be that they had to play through for a 12 team playoff. But there will be fun unexpected, exciting upsets throughout the tournament. You just don't know where they're going to come, especially when we don't know what teams are going to be there yet. We do know which teams are going to be in which conference. One of them, unfortunately, the Pac-12 is down to the Pac-2, Oregon State and Washington State, the only ones left. And then I saw the story that they finally officially have parted ways. They, but that's what they that's what the the thing said they parted ways with George Klyavkov. So they are looking for a new commissioner, but it's really just run by two teams, so it's not 100% clear what they're going to do from a leadership standpoint for the Pac-12 going forward. But I mean, it's going to be a quick one once they made this decision. Klyavkov's last day is February 29th. I'm not sure how much work he's doing anymore. He's obviously not going out there looking for television deals for them anyway. So Pac-12, they're basically dying. We'll see if they can get some sort of merger in a few years with the Mountain West and, and be able to live on it. But the Power Five essentially has become a Power Four. So looking at those other four conferences, I wanted to let's do a check in on the health of them because 
none of them are in as poor of health as the Pac-12, but there definitely is a hierarchy. And we'll start with the most healthy. I think that's the SEC. They seem to have the least fat of any of them. They didn't just start adding teams, especially like when you look at the Big 12 and the ACC, just to add teams. They got two teams that didn't come with anything that you didn't want because USC and UCLA was probably a package deal. If the Big Ten was being truthful, they probably didn't need UCLA to come along with it, but they said, sure, fine, two teams in L.A., the SEC just got to go out there and add Texas and Oklahoma to a conference that already wins most of the national championships. So they're they're just straight up healthy right now. There's yeah, really there no was, problem. With there them. was no counter for any conference to make that would have matched the punch thrown by the Southeastern Conference in adding Texas and Oklahoma. Like that was it. Everybody else was vying for something that it's a distant third to, mm-hmm. in terms of impact that you're going to have for your conference. And I do think that. Yeah, Big Ten getting USC, UCLA was just a little brother that came along because they didn't want to blow up that rivalry. And then I, I also, Oregon and Washington are interesting, but recency, I think, makes it so. Like the, the How I feel about these programs over the past couple of years makes me feel a little better, but overall, it, it's just nothing it can match a Texas or an Oklahoma in terms of conference additions. Because I think, was it the Big Ten who got the initial phone call? About Texas that's, and Oklahoma joining, like that's I remember been the report, that reporting, yeah. and I feel like whoever took that phone call and said no thanks, we're good, um, should be just thrown into space. I don't know. The conference said if that was Kevin changed Warren, over leadership since then. Put him so. on an Elon rocket and send him to Mars. They're the healthiest. It's the SEC, and then there's the SEC and the Big Ten, and then it's a chasm. I think the Big Ten, though, yeah, is is just as healthy on like the the measurable end of it. If we're continuing the metaphor, but they probably have a few more parts of their health that they neglect a little bit. And what I'm talking about that is, yes, they get, you know, kind of the little brother tag along with, with UCLA, which is different than just being able to add a USC yeah. like the SEC was able to with Texas and Oklahoma. And then also the legacy ones. Don't get me wrong. The SEC has some programs that are less than desirable as well. The Big Ten just has a few more of them. A lot of Rutgers, Indiana, Purdue, Illinois, I'll, I'll stop there. I don't want to be mean to any, but those four specifically, like that's you guys got to pick it up a yeah, little. I have bit. a hard time wondering, like asking what Rutgers brings to the conference at all, because um, at least the with New York television at least market, with Vanderbilt, you could say baseball and uh, how big that is in the South to that footprint. How big college baseball is? At least they provide one of the best teams there historically. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still Rutgers. I'm, I'm waiting here. I mean, they again they birthed college football, so maybe you're just giving homage to that. And I think when we talk about health, I think there's two different things. There's the clear financial health that the Big Ten has over everybody right now because you're getting in a couple of years every school's going to be getting an eighty million dollar check, including Rutgers, for simply existing in the footprint and just being under contract when you were. The SEC, while not getting quite that much does have ESPN and its machine working for it and it alone. It almost over any others. Like you could say, well, yeah, ESPN still has Maction and, and still has some other smaller college or smaller conferences, but all of their weight is right now behind the Southeastern Conference. I think the ACC is kind of in this like weird aging process because they're, you know, they're, they're living off their retirement fund essentially because they're not getting the bigger TV money. They're stuck in this grant of rights with ESPN. And so they just have to live off of what they have here for the Big 12. Um, I said they have great hair. 
they look really good. They they're doing a good job to to put on an air of look at how how good everything is for us. We've got this basketball tournament. We've grown our league to the the largest league in these power conferences, or at least tied with the Big Ten for the largest lead. But when you really start to look at it, you're like, mm, I don't think this is as put together as you guys are pretending it is. Well, I think when when that, whatever the Pac-12 or the Pac-2, if they assimilate, though, would it be the Mountain West? Yeah. When they assimilate that, they're going to try to argue the same thing. Like when they get those schools, they're going to be like, we're just as healthy as everybody. Yeah. And well, and actually, if they take in the Mountain West, Mountain West and Big 12 won't look that different at that point. The the same. Big 12 has a few One will have Deion Sanders, the other won't. Yeah. And that, in terms of for football. That'll help the Big 12. Plus, how competitive they are in basketball, again, helps them. And then real quick for the group of five just as a whole, I think that they're ghosts right now. They're like, yeah, they're still technically around, but the power conferences are showing, especially with the moves of the college football playoff committee, that they don't really want to look at them. They don't really want to worry about them. I I think the group of five is in the best spot that they've ever been because there's still chatter to get them a guaranteed spot in the playoff. I think there's only chatter because... they're, they're, they they're, can but get they're to in, it, but, but they're in the conversation. But they don't actually care about it. They do not care about the group of five. The leaders of well, college football do not care about the group of five. They haven't said that explicitly. They have, in my opinion. I'm not going to take any other. I just don't think like that. the group of five has just gotten. They haven't been Thanos snapped out of existence. Like the group of five for me is as healthy as it's ever been. In what way? We got a lot of eyeballs on the product. Because they have the weeknight TV things. Okay. And then they've still, at, as of right now, a, a college football playoff that wants to give them a guaranteed spot. It's pretty healthy for not really doing a whole lot. <sighs> there, okay, we'll talk about this more at, at 10. We got to get to Jardy. When I booked Jardy, I didn't think that Buckeye basketball would be coming off a win. Well, they are. He joins us next. Bishop and Friends on the fan. The Ohio State Coaches Daily Show is brought to you locally on the fan by Credit Union of Ohio. This is the Ohio State Basketball Daily Show with interim coach Jake Diebler. Brought to you by Incova Insurance. Ohio State knocks off number two Purdue by a score of 73-69. Congratulations, Jake. What a big day and what a list of contributions you got from a number of players. It, it really was a... That was a fun game to, to be a part of, intense. I was so, so proud of how our guys have come together these last few days in, in just an extremely difficult um, situation. I'm just, I'm, I'm so thankful that, you know, I've just been able to find peace from, from, from God and him just kind of helping me to stay present with all the different thoughts and, and emotions that, you know, come with this and, um you know, thankful for for Holt and the conversation I had with him a couple nights ago that just was was so helpful. Um, but our guys, that was that was a lot of fun, and I'm I'm so happy for them. All right, we'll have another comment in just a moment. Hi, I'm Archie Griffin, two-time Heisman Trophy winner. The right coverage can be a game changer, both on and off the field. That's why Encova Insurance and their local independent agents are prepared for what's next and protect what matters most to you. Whether that's your home, car, business, or family, Encova's got your back with a policy that fits you perfectly. With local independent agents in your neighborhood and innovative insurance products that can be tailored to fit your unique needs, Encova's playbook is an easy win for your peace of mind. You can trust their team of agents to develop a strategy that's just right for you. And it's not just X's and O's. Your expert agent will guide you and provide insurance solutions so you can confidently manage your risk 
and count on a financially secure future. For auto, home, and business insurance, you want Encova on your team. Visit Encova.com today to find an agent near you. Encova is a proud sponsor of Ohio State Athletics. Go Bucks! 73-69, the Buckeyes defeat second-ranked Purdue. Uh, coach, there's so many things that you had to prepare for. One, being the, the head coach, and but also getting the guys mentally ready to play. Just talk about your bench and also the challenges of defending Zach Eady in the middle. I thought, you know, we, we, we went a little deeper into the rotation, and I thought every single person, whether it was one minute or three minutes or, you know, how, how about Bruce Thornton yeah. and his 35 and, and some change minutes, you know, it, it was we, we've talked about for the last three days, you know, how important each and every person being two feet in and focused, you know, on, on kind of what's in front of us, how important that was. And, you know, our guys, they uh, they embrace that. They earned the right to play well with the way we practiced the last last three days, to be honest with you. I, I think that was probably one of the more encouraging things is we had three good practices and. and you know, you saw we played. We talked about before the game. Played like you've practiced the last few days and felt like we did that. It's the Ohio State Sports Network from Learfield. Is it time to upgrade your financial situation? Whether you're shooting for financial goals or making a fast break towards savings, Credit Union of Ohio is on your team. If you live in Central or Northeast Ohio, you could score big with affordable loans and competitive savings. Enjoy Credit Union of Ohio's fast and easy online application process and make a slam dunk when it comes to your financial needs. Start winning at cuofohio.org. That's cuofohio.org. Federally insured by NCUA. Everybody knows that Roosters is a fun, casual joint with their award-winning waitstaff, great food, fun, and laughter. It's a quick stop on the way home to sit back and unwind or grab a carryout. Roosters is where you, your family, and friends can order pizza, sandwiches, salads, and more. And the home of award-winning wings that are fresh, never frozen. It's your family's other dinner table. Roosters, a fun, casual joint. Distilled sports discussion served in light beer quantities. You're listening to Bishop and Friends. Chops and Eric Reeser with you today, and we're going to head out to the Bryant Heating and Cooling Systems fan guest hotline. Talk to Adam Jardy, OSU men's basketball beat writer for the Columbus Dispatch. Jardy, I was in the building yesterday, and it started down 8 nothing to Purdue, and it felt like, okay, yeah, it is going to be more of the same. And then Bruce Thornton scores eight points of his own, and we've got ourselves a little bit of game. But after that little run from Thornton early in, in the uh, first half there, it felt like, okay, this team does have a little bit different. For you, what was the number one thing that was different from a team that beat Purdue yesterday versus what we had seen over the last month and a half? I, I just think the fact that they were able to finally play with a little bit more pace and it's something that has been talked about a lot. Uh, Diebler talked about it a lot leading into the game. The players talked about it, that the practice sessions were quicker and, and more intense, more, you know, less time off in between breaks. Um, you know, if you were late getting back from a water break, you had to run. Like, all that stuff kind of seemed to, to factor into where Ohio State turned Purdue over more than I thought it would be able to. And when the Buckeyes did, they were able to run. And that created some you know, some easy opportunities and allowed them to finish at the rim, got Jamison battle going. Um, to me, that that was the biggest difference. Just the fact that, I mean, Zach Eady tied a career high with six turnovers and, you know, Zed key had never had more than two steals in a game. He had five, like that kind of stuff. I, I think played as big of a role as, as anything in Ohio state finding a way to win that game. Adam, is it fair to ask why couldn't the other guy get this out of that team? I, I, 
Yes and no. I mean, it's the obvious question. And certainly um, there was a different feeling in that arena last night. And I think there was a different vibe among the players and a different vibe around the fan base. Like just there was, there was a different buzz and it's hard, I think, to quantify what that, how that plays out. Um, But, you know, it's hard to deny that it felt like a little bit of a breath of fresh air in there. And that, you know, there was, once Ohio State went up 12, Jamison Battle hits three threes in 61 seconds, and the place is roaring and it's loud. And I, that was the point when I started to definitively write in the voice in my story that Ohio State wins because I just felt like the way they were playing, they weren't going to let this lead disappear. I, I It felt different in that regard. And I can't say for certain I would have felt the same way, um, you know, maybe a week ago if that game had been played. So, yeah, I think it's probably fair to ask that. On that note, interim coach uh, Jake Diebler, well, it's a really good way to start out your tryout. For me, it feels like he's probably pretty low on the percentage chance to get the head coach job. So does something like this, they're finishing the whole season strong, do you think that puts him into serious contention or do you think they're going to go outside? I mean, I guess you could retire right now as undefeated champion and just <laughs> go, out, go out on the highest note you could probably imagine. But, um, I mean, it's it's one game ultimately. And they've, you know, this is still a team that is well outside the NCAA tournament picture. This is still a team that's second to last in the big 10, you know, we'll, we'll see where this ultimately ends up. Um, you know, it's there, like I said, there was a lot of that other stuff. I feel like it impacted this game, the vibes, the, you know, all the emotion, all the things that went into it that you can't really measure with the X's and O's and, you know, kind of to a point where I felt walking into the arena, like eh, they might win today. Like, and I haven't felt that a whole lot necessarily the last couple of weeks. So Jake Diebler deserves certainly a, a large amount of the credit for that, for getting these guys to believe and to play at a high level, uh, to come together in a situation where they easily could have gone the other way. But we got to see a lot more. Um, you know, the team hasn't won a road game in 16 straight. You know, the, now they got two in, in the next week. Can they go out and make some damage there? Like, we'll, we'll see where this goes. I think um, uh, probably the most logical outcome for all this is that you're in a situation where because he is so well-respected and loved by his players and he's such a uh, talented high-level recruiter and has great background and connections with, with really talented players in Ohio, you can certainly make a very strong case that whoever they do hire would be well-served by keeping Jake Diebler on staff. Uh, I, think, I think you could certainly make that argument right now, and I think that would hold a lot of water. But I'm going to need to see a lot more before I, I think he's a long-term legitimate candidate for the job. Adam Jardy, our guest, he covers the men's basketball team for the Columbus Dispatch. Who's next for Ohio State? Have you heard anything more than possible candidates? Have there been any, I guess, olive branches extended by new athletic director Ross Bjork? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, this will be his decision to make. Correct. And that's that's the the interesting like sort of wrinkle in all of this is that we don't yet have any real idea what he values in a coach, what he's looking for, what connections he's bringing. Um, you know, like I don't, I don't expect that like Buzz Williams is coming with him. Like I don't see that happening. Um, I do think there's probably a pretty short list right now, of maybe three to four guys that I, I think uh, people that are around the program and that are around the university would like to see. Um, I think I could speculate on a couple of those names. Uh, I, I'm sure that like, Dusty May and Lamont Paris. Uh, I'm sure those are guys that are on that list. Um, 
I'm sure Greg McDermott, Sean Miller, um, those guys all make sense. Um, I know for a fact that Chris Gent is interested in the job. Um, so there, there are guys out there that I think make a lot of sense, and we could come up with a great list of names that would be fantastic candidates. But um, the wrinkles, we just don't know what, what Ross Bjork values at and what he wants yet. And so until we have an idea on that, it is pretty hard to, to narrow it down, uh, at least where we sit right now. Adam, would you entertain a Will Wade conversation? Um, well, I guess it depends on what you're asking me to entertain. <laughs> As the next um, head coach at Ohio State. I mean, if you're asking, do I think Will Wade is a really good basketball coach? <laughs> and could he probably win at Ohio State? I mean, yes. Um, do... I would have to set aside all the off the court stuff. And I think that's a fair question there. Um, and I don't know, historically, that's not a higher Ohio state has made just straight up. Like that kind of stuff has historically um, excluded you from an Ohio state coaching search. Good, really? bad and different. That's just how it's been really. So uh, that's, <laughs> I, I don't know. Thank you for being a good sport for my dumb question. Really quick, Adam, we'll, we'll get you out of here on this one um, because obviously feelings of positivity coming off the game against Purdue last night. Is there anything short of actually winning the Big Ten tournament and getting the automatic bid that can change anything about this team and possibly having postseason eyes even towards the NIT? Or do you think the ship has sailed with enough happening in January and the first half of February? Oh, I mean, I think this team is a viable, at this moment, this team is a viable NIT candidate. I think that is a realistic thing that we could see this team doing and pursuing. I mean, um, so I, I do see that as a possibility, which is obviously not where anybody wanted the season to be, but that's better than not having a postseason at all, I, I would wager. Um, for this team to build an NCAA tournament resume, like for all the losses that it has piled up, it really only has one bad loss which is something the committee does look at pretty strongly. And that's the home loss to Indiana. That's a quad three loss. And that loss is not changing. Uh, Indiana's that bad. That's there's no way that's going to morph into a better defeat. Uh, but they do have some opportunities here. I mean, uh, Minnesota and Minnesota's going to be a quad two game. Michigan state's a quad one game. They're going to have a couple of resume building opportunities. These next these, in these last few regular season games to where, you know, if we are talking about a team that wins four of the next five and is, uh, what, 19 and 12 going into the Big Ten tournament and has a couple more quality wins, you know, they, they could play themselves in a bubble. That, that, that win yesterday at least makes the question not absolutely ridiculous where you have to dismiss it out of hand because if you can play like that and you have a win like that on your resume, now you go on the road and win a, a handful of games, you could put yourself back in that position, which sounds crazy given what this program has been through in the last two months, but it's it's not complete. The door's not completely closed. Oh, don't do it to me, Adams. So you're saying there's a chance. Here we are. Oh, someone had to say it. Someone had to say it. Thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. He's Adam Jardy. Covers the Ohio State men's basketball team for the Columbus Dispatch on the Bryant Heating and Cooling Systems Fan Guest Hotline. A super duper star didn't even know his name was in trade discussions. That and more in Thing or Not a Thing next. Bishop and Friends right here on The Fan. We used to have a billboard with our host's face on it, but only ugly people work here now. You mama say you ugly, hey! The Fan, Ohio's sports destiny. Our top men are working on everything except this show. This is Bishop and Friends.
All right, thing or not a thing time. Hit it. Thing or not a thing. Sponsored by Apex Plumbing Pros. All right, Baker, what we got over there? All right, guys, so LeBron James, we know, played in his uh, record 20th All-Star game this week. And at the All-Star game weekend, he talked about the end of his career. He said, I'm a Laker. And I'm happy. I've been very happy being a Laker the last six years, and hopefully it stays that way. But I don't have the answer to how long it is or which uniform I'll be in. Hopefully it's with the Lakers. It's a great organization. So many greats. But we'll see. And then on rumors of being traded to Golden State, possibly... I actually heard about it when everybody else heard about it. Sometimes there's conversations that happen behind closed doors that you don't even know about. And I guess until it's real or not, then they'll bring it to you. But it never even got to me. Thing or not a thing? We do real truth on um, Tuesdays, but a little real truth here. I think that the the real truth is that maybe he didn't hear about this because the way it's been reported is that essentially Draymond Green went to the higher-ups of the Golden State Warriors and said, hey, maybe go see if LeBron wants to come play here. And so then they talked to Jeannie Buss, who then put the Warriors peoples in contact with Rich Paul, who reportedly basically just turned it down. LeBron in season? Yeah, maybe he didn't pass that by him. Maybe they didn't have a meeting in that time. This all kind of happened over the last week or so for LeBron, for this rumor getting out that the Golden State Warriors were making a real play at him. The other one, I'm I'm just unsure about the real truth of, one, that he's going to finish his career with the Lakers, and two, that he wants to. It does seem pretty clear that he has enjoyed his move out to California. We talked about that a lot. I don't think he's ready to change his home base at any given time, but LeBron playing for a different team is something that I I see as a very real possibility down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, he made so much about it. This was only a couple of years ago. It's died down uh, over the past two seasons, but wanting to play with Bronny, wanting to play in the NBA with his son. And so I, I still think that's out there for him. I just think that... There's a lot in everything that he says. Like, he was also asked about, like, a farewell tour and if he'd want one. And he says, quote, I've never been great at accepting praise. <laughs> like, so. What? <laughs> he likes what? To- the teenager who did the chosen one cover of Sports Illustrated is uncomfortable with praise? So you can't ever really take anything he says as a, this is what's going to happen. Because it's likely how he feels in a given moment. So if you want to say, is that the real truth? No, it's not the real truth, but it's just his real truth at that moment. LeBron, like a lot of, uh, especially college coaches, his statements come with a dot, dot, dot for now. Perception is his, his perception is the reality of the moment. (laughs) Reese, you were right. We'll know where he ends his career when we find out who drafts Bronny next year in the NBA draft. That's going to be it for me. Outside of that, so if Bronny doesn't, uh, get picked up by an NBA team, and it's hard to believe that he won't, then yeah, he'd probably stay as a Los Angeles Laker until finally calling it a career. But as soon as Bronny goes somewhere, it's uh, you watch the betting odds for that team to land LeBron in whatever free agent cycles there, and they go up exponentially. Guys, this news broke on Friday right as we were wrapping up the show. The Las Vegas Raiders, their quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, is being suspended for two games for violating the NFL's performance-enhancing substances policy. League sources told ESPN that Garoppolo used a prescribed medication without having a valid therapeutic use exemption from the league. Thing or not a thing? I mean, it stinks because it sounds like it's a substance that is on the ban list, but if it is prescribed, you can probably convince the NFL to give you that lift on it and allow you to use it. He didn't get that, and he gets suspended. One thing that I do like about it, and it's the biggest thing for me, I like that Garoppolo and his camp just said, okay, 
It will be suspended for the first two. He's probably going to get released here by the Raiders anyways as they've changed over a coaching staff and they have a new GM. Um, he's due a roster bonus, you know, whenever the league year, March, all that stuff. So probably by March, he's going to get suspended or he's going to get cut from the Raiders anyways. But I just like the idea that every time something comes out now in sports, in the NFL, whether it's a suspension or, you know, there's all sorts of lawsuits and let's go to Capitol Hill and college sports, but they just take forever because the courts take forever and then you go through all this. Da, da, da. Like, he'd probably just be through the two games by the time he even got an answer on it. So I'm happy that he just said, yeah, okay, I, I guess I took that substance. I'll take the suspension. I wonder if he's doing a chess, other chess rather checkers move to where if he gets suspended for those two, whatever he's not going to, well, I guess if he's going to be released by the Raiders, then his potential two games, what's that going to be? He you might know? not even be and on if roster he negoti- the right. of the year, and If yeah. he negotiates a contract with the team, then the bonus would kick in, in a, the, another season. Or yeah, or if he comes at a season mid-season, does he still have to serve that two-game suspension? Like if he does the Joe Flacco thing, does he have to serve two games, or is it the first two games? And then what happens? I'm glad you said Joe Flacco because I was going to say the next Joe Flacco, maybe. <laughs> I mean, he's going to be out uh, of a job here. He's going to get paid what? What's it? A uh, million two. So they give him that. He goes away for a little bit and then gets picked up by a contender or if an injury happens, which they always do to a quarterback at the beginning of the season, Jimmy G can step in and maybe, maybe contend. Guys, we know the number two team in the country went down yesterday when Ohio State beat Purdue. The number one team, though, UConn, they set a record with a blowout 81-53 to win over number four, Marquette. That's because the 28-point margin of victory was the largest in an AP Top 5 conference matchup in the AP poll history, according to ESPN Stats and Information. Thing or not a thing? I haven't watched enough UConn or Marquette this year to know if there was, you know, any sort of outside reason that this game just got so lopsided. But UConn, yeah, especially with Purdue's loss, they've really stabilized themselves as the number one team in the country. They're obviously defending national champions. And it was nice to, I saw the highlights of this one because, wow, I mean, the score stands out to you. And then you look into it and Marquette's number four and they were able to do all this. And you see some of their names again. And it was nice to, to kind of refresh myself with UConn, who looks like, yeah, they're going to be another power in this year's tournament as well. I just wonder, and it might have been, because I think Purdue has a win over, it was then Arizona. Arizona was number one when Purdue won that game. What pushed the Boilers over the Huskies in terms of the NCAA selection committee's first four? Like, Purdue was the first first, and then UConn was the second first. And I was like, well, what's the differentiator there? And it likely is, you know, best ranked wins there. But yeah, UConn's doing what Purdue's not playing really really well at the right time i'm gonna say the loss was because gahanna's sean jones is out for the year for marquette that's the reason yeah there's uh, that has to be it i mean I looking back uconn's been taking the hammer to a lot of teams getting hot at the right time i mean we're, we're getting down to the season yeah it looks like they're gonna lock up one of those one seeds that you were talking about we'll try to lock up the weekend we blitz it next bishop and friends on the fan we are your radio home for the Buckeyes, Browns, and all the NFL games you can handle. We may have a bit of a football problem. Oh, yeah. The Fan, Ohio sports destination. Producers, co-hosts, friends, some of those things are true. You're listening to Bishop and Friends. Chaps, Reeser, Ryan Baker behind the glass today, and it's time for the weekend sports blitz. Let's do it. Bishop and Friends present a weekend sports blitz. 
First up today, I believe I had that. Baker, what did you have this weekend? Well, guys, believe it or not, yesterday... I actually had the feeling and thought that Ohio State was going to knock off number two. I thought they were going to get that new coach bump. I thought the shot was going to be wild with the firing and a big team in town. I even put a little on the Ohio State money line because I (laughs) thought it would happen, and it did. So good job, Buckeyes, for uh, starting off the Jake Diebler era, however long that is, with a nice win. Well, yeah, okay, so you answered my question. I was like, well, wait, did you feel this before the game, or was there a certain point in the game that it switched? But if you... Got the money line in, then it was before the game. Kudos to you. What about you, Reese? I had the NBA All-Star game would not be worth the time. A lot of people out there that have uh, started their Mondays angry at the NBA for a lackluster All-Star game. It's not worth the energy. (laughs) Just don't even worry about it. it. It's not worth bitching. It's not worth looking into seeing how you can change it. If you're going to have it, it's going to stay just as uninspiring as it's always been. Well, I, but I would I would push back on as it's always been. I think the game did used to have a little bit more com- like fiery competitive edge okay. to it. It'll never be that again. <laughs> That's okay. Fair. No all star game will ever be that again. I don't think. Right. Um, this one comes from you know people know this because people are so into recruiting and everything nowadays. But C.J. Stroud, he's a good basketball player. Kid can hoop. He was good in high school as well, and so he was in that celebrity. Uh, all-star game on the Friday night festivities for the NBA All-Star break. He had 31 points in the game. Now he's outshined a little bit by another football player, you know, somebody who might be taking him down on an NFL field in the Cowboys pass rusher Micah Parsons, who had 37 points and got the game's MVP and was on the winning side, C.J. Stroud on the losing side. But I also noticed this. uh, It was on, I was at a fun casual joint for dinner, and it was the fourth quarter was starting. And I noticed this in the third quarter, and then it was basically that whole final quarter. The guys like C.J. Stroud, Micah Parsons, Puka Nakua played in this game as well. Those were the people that they kept on the court as it was a little bit close down the stretch, and I thought that was interesting. I was like, yeah, of course, they're going to leave the real athletes out there, and the celebrity aspect of it kind of faded away as those guys actually got a little bit competitive playing down the stretch, much more competitive than we got on Sunday night. I didn't have that. Guys, I am a big UFC fan. UFC 298 was Saturday night in Anaheim, California. I did not have that Ilya Taporia would knock out Alexander Volkanovsky to become the featherweight champion of the world. Volk is pretty much widely regarded as the greatest featherweight in MMA of all time. And Taporia becoming the new champ, I did not have that. I saw a thing, I think it was after, where someone asked Dana White about Conor McGregor. And Dana White kind of just shrugged it off, too. He has a bunch of money. He doesn't need to fight right now. There was a video circulated a couple months ago of McGregor saying he wants to fight again and is going to fight again and, like, challenged some guy. McGregor has said that a lot throughout the years, and Dana has always said, if he wants to fight, we'll get him to fight. But he's got a lot of money. He's like, if you had that much money, would you want to get punched in the face? And I think that's a valid point. Especially when people hire you to be an actor now, and you can just be in the new roadhouse instead. But I think, like... Buzz and attention mean more to Conor McGregor than money. Absolutely. It was supposed to happen this summer, and then it kind of got pushed back to fall. Okay, and now so Dana's he's just like, doing it. Yeah. Okay. It's just a, Conor's it's got a to Conor McGregor thing. <laughs> uh, you guys, I, I think, Baker, you, I think Adam Jardy, you guys are out of your mind. There, I had, There's no feeling I had that Ohio State was going to get the upset over Purdue. Purdue's a much more talented team, or at least played like a much more talented team this season. And like they had done so many other times, Purdue just being the better team would have been enough. 
But yesterday, I was wrong. So good on you, Jake Diebler, and good on you, Team 125, with just being a hell of a lot tougher than the Boilermakers. That's where I was at. It, at a certain point in the first half, and it didn't, it didn't even have to be all the way to that 14-2 to run to end it to get to halftime with a lead, but at a certain point I did flip over, but for the most part going into the game, yeah, I did not think the Buckeyes had a no. chance. I even said, like, right at tip-off because we were at the game. I was like, yeah, we might be able to leave with, like, five minutes left or something anyways because I don't think it's going to be a particularly close game. People might be filtering out. Nope, completely the opposite. Everybody stayed until the, the very end. Even overtime was a possibility down late and people rush the court so i'm glad that i was wrong about that one but uh, yeah i didn't have that going into it yesterday at all player who impressed the most baker guys this one hurts my heart a little bit because god i miss him our timmy panarin in the stadium series game yesterday at MetLife Stadium. He scores the game-winning goal in overtime, has two assists, three shots in goal, over 23 minutes of ice time. And when I was watching the game, he was easily the most noticeable, dominant player on the ice. You want to win Stanley Cups, you've got to get talents like that. I know Artemi hasn't won one yet. God, I miss, well, he was number nine for us, number 10 now for the New York Rangers. I miss him. And they're the first uh, team in a, in one of the NHL's outdoor games to overcome a three-goal deficit as well? Uh, that might, I, that I might be. The, I didn't see that. It came across that, the so. bottom of the screen earlier. So that's. Yeah. I know they were down at 5-3 to one point and ended up winning 6-5. Okay. So. For me, it's uh, Hideki Matsuyama. So he was six back of the lead on Sunday, the Genesis Invitational. Then he shot a nine under 62, the lowest closing round winner by a winner at Riviera uh, ever. Um, and so for him to do that on a weekend where Tiger had to leave because of the flu, uh, Jordan Spieth signed the wrong scorecard or signed an incorrect scorecard. Uh, it was a really, really gritty performance by Matsuyama. The scorecard feels like one that we could correct in golf nowadays. I think it's on both parties, though. I, I think golf should just correct it because, yeah, if you've got every bit of technology in the world tracking these things, you should have to have the players do it. But if you're going to have the players do it, then Jordan Spieth, sign sign it correctly. Like, you've got a caddy with you. You've also got technology at your disposal, or at least at your caddy's disposal. Just do it correctly then, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's already something that's already accounted for. So I guess they could have double-checked their work. I don't know how many people do. I just think the idea that it's like you get kicked out of the tournament. Because you signed it. It's like, very much targeting uh, should not equal ejection. Yeah, right. Jordan Spieth, he wasn't trying to cheat. I, I don't believe that he was trying to save himself a stroke. I think he just, they got mixed up, wrote down the wrong score. You sign it at the end. It Yeah, it, it needs to be something that you need to keep track of, but maybe it's a stroke penalty or something. It, all of a sudden he can't golf. And I, Reese, excuse me if you said this, but if he would have signed the scorecard and it would have been a worse score... That would have been okay. He wouldn't have been ejected from the yeah. tournament. But because he signed it and it was a better score than he actually had, <laughs> so he's out. Stupid. Could you? Yeah. Could you? Could you like imagine that at the end of which a, has probably happened to your point, Baker? Somebody's accidentally signed a worse score, thinking, "Ah, oh, I played like crap out there," and then technology returns them and says, "No, you actually played better than you thought you did." But unfortunately, well, no, fortunately, you can still keep playing. But I think that you, if you sign the worst score, that's your score. Though. That is your score. Yes, I believe so. It's really silly. Like at the end of an NBA basketball game, they're like, actually, that was your seventh foul, or that was your sixth foul, and we only thought it was your fifth at the time, and you stayed in the game, so you, you guys lose <laughs> because you stayed in the game. It's like, no, that should be the officials. They should keep track of it. That's all I mean. 
Player impressed the most for me, we talked about it earlier, Evan Mahaffey, but come back on the defensive side and block Zach Eady's shot. Yeah, that was that was on the basket that was on the end we, we were at, and just to see him rise up and do that. And it kind of shows you what we were saying off the top of the show, too, that like Zach Eady probably not going to the association. I don't think he's going to have a career because if Evan Mahaffey was a really... He's really high energy. Try, you know, he tries really hard. put puts his best into it, but he's not a super skilled player. But whatever his like athletic acumen is, every NBA guy is going to have that. Yep. And so you're telling me what everybody on the court can block Zach Eady's shot? Not good for him, but good for Evan Mahaffey yesterday. Player who disappointed the most. Guys, I'm going to stay on the ice here. Kent Johnson. He got an opportunity on the top power play in the game Saturday night. He didn't last very long. I don't know what he did, uh, but it didn't impress much. He only played 657 in the game. You can say a lot about maybe the way Kent Johnson has been handled, developed, you know, sent to Cleveland back and all of that stuff. But you thought by now that it would pop with this guy and it just hasn't for whatever reason. We're not seeing the uh, production on the ice match the obvious talent uh that this guy has so kent johnson i need you to get it together the blue jackets are on a two-game win streak though you got boone jenner scoring with 12 ticks oh no blue jackets sorry they're not uh 12 a two-game win streak i thought never mind they, they lost just, they lost to the lightning i'm just dis- i'm disappointed in myself uh for that one but <laughs> also in zach Eady because yeah just to see him bitching at the refs the almost the entire game yesterday sir your team's second in the country. You have been getting calls since you arrived on campus at West Lafayette. You were like the unanimous uh, yeah. player of the year last year. Like, this is silly. Mine goes back to the NBA All-Star f- festivities, and I did not watch this live, but seeing the highlights, yeah, sure, Mac McClung, he jumped over Shaq. That's really impressive. Give, give him the win. But really he won because there's no way in the final that they could have given it to Jalen Brown, who chose to dunk over Somebody who people are reporting are, I don't know how to look up specifically a streamer's height, but this Kai Sinat guy, he's only five foot three, maybe a little bit taller, but he's definitely well under six foot. And he was sitting down in a folding chair, and then he still had to have his buddy Jason Tatum come out and throw the ball up. It's like the guy in the chair can't throw you the ball, the one you brought up for the for the prop of it, and it's like, no, I'm not impressed by Jalen Brown jumping over him, and then he tried to do the no-look dunk, but he was already, like, hand on the cylinder when he put his elbow over his eyes, and it's like, what are we doing, doing out too here? Much. J- yeah. Yeah, you're right. Doing too much, and too in much. doing too much, you did nothing. Yeah. It was not an impressive dunk. Of, of course you lost, so that was very disappointing. And Bud Kilmer, honorary coach of the week. I mean, guys, there's really only one answer to this, right? It's it's Deebs. It's well, Jake Diebler. I mean, he gets them fired up. They get the win. Uh, you got to go, Jake. I'm going to go Will Wade. His McNeese State Cowboys <laughs> beat Nichols 74-47. to uh, They're 12-1 and in the Southland Conference, 23-3 and overall. Like, these Cowboys are going to go dancing in the SLC tournament. Print they, the campaign shirts. They win, if they win the damn thing, they're doing something the Buckeyes aren't, dancing in March. So you're totally on this Will Wade train? I can't even tell if it's a bit anymore. I'm the conductor, Chops. <laughs> Choo-choo. Hey, it doesn't matter that he was caught on FBI probes. So was you, Bill Self. You can do that stuff And now. they handed him a trophy. And Sean Miller and everybody wants yeah, him. Yeah, Sean Miller. It's the same thing. I seen you show me Sean Miller, you show me Will Wade. It's like the Spider-Man meme. Well, the funny thing, too, about all that is 
I think it was. Your pearls. I think it became part of it when they decided that they wanted to fire Will Wade, but I can't even remember what it was. But there was a second thing that came up for him at LSU, and that's when they decided to fire him. It was not just, was when just he was so found out much. in all this. It always, it, it's just crazy that that one that that whole thing went down, and now like Adidas is doing it legally with NIL, but that also like, oh yeah, it was just a bunch of assistant coaches and stuff, and those are their. I mean, Will Wade eventually <laughs> lost his LSU job, but again, their knowledge not, of this going on behind my back, they were not going to fire him for that initially. My uh, Bud Kilmer honorary coach of the week also goes to Jake Diebler. I mean, that's a tough ass to get the team ready to go. I know you get that little bit of a boost, and maybe that would have resulted in a good first half, but then they went out there and they were able to match Purdue's runs in the second half. Purdue finally made it close. They tied it up at one point late in the second half, but Ohio State was able to respond in all those moments, and they were able to close out the first half, uh, you know, a response to Purdue possibly being the team that does that, because that's what has happened to Ohio State all year. So to see those differences was really encouraging. I know it's one game, and you're not going to get that same boost night in and night out with the with the new interim head coach, but for one game, they got that, and it's probably going to be the most special win of the season. I don't know. Nothing left on the schedule is there. If they made a run, if they did make the NIT, that could result in some stuff. A beat number two, Notre Dame, or not Notre Dame, Purdue on your home court. Pretty nice stuff out of Deebs in his, well, technically he has some interim under his belt from a few games where Holtman was sick this year. We we, we did correct ourselves at one point during He's the three break. 3-0 oh is Ohio State's interim, but come on. Th- that was the real first interim uh, coaching debut for Deebs. Coming up, at least one person thinks the Browns could trade Deshaun Watson. Bishop and Friends on the fam. Buckeyes, Jackets, Crew, and Panama Dead yelling about something being too hot. I don't understand it either. The Fan, Ohio Sports Destiny. The uncle you never knew you had. The friends you kind of wish you didn't. This is Bishop and Friends. Chaps and Eric Reeser with you today. We'll be here until noon. Bo will be back Thursday for those of you keeping track of that. Now, Reese, you uncovered this one because uh, I I don't know. It just has not really been a notion that I think we've really broached because of what Deshaun Watson's deal looks like with Cleveland. That, of course, this is everything. They gave up all the picks to get him. They gave him this fully guaranteed deal, which, I mean, they wouldn't be able to get out from all the money. But if there was a trade, I don't know how they'd figure that out and who's paying what. But it would be it would be less of it. But it just always felt like they put so much investment into this. And I had never really given a thought to like, well, what could it look like if the Browns tried to go a different direction? Like, what would that actually look like? You can't have another, you can't have Deshaun Watson at his price tag as your backup, but I suppose you could trade him. Yeah, but who's going to take what's out? I mean, like $47 million. Somebody who's chasing the same way the Browns were chasing when they gave up everything to acquire Deshaun Watson. So it's not just, in my opinion, the cap hit that would be taken on if a team were to require Watson, but it's everything else that comes with that. And so this was what get up Friday morning. So around the same time we were doing this show, uh, I want to get his title, right? Cause I, I think this is really funny when ESPN throws these out there front ESPN's front office insider, Mike Tannenbaum suggested that the Browns should trade Deshaun Watson and a second round pick to the New York giants for Daniel Jones. Now hear him out. If you're the Cleveland Browns, you have Dorian Thompson-Robinson, you have Joe Flacco, and now a 27-year-old Daniel Jones who has one year left of guaranteed money for $36 million and an enormous amount of flexibility moving forward. And if you're the Giants, you're getting Deshaun Watson, who's 29, 
Are you? Who's making $46 million a year for the next three years and a second-round pick. And to me, you need a front-line difference-making quarterback. Because, Bart, right now, if you're the Giants, how in the world do you win the NFC when you have to beat San Francisco, Green Bay, Dallas, Philly, and Detroit? With Daniel Jones, right. Yeah, with Daniel Jones. So, to me, Deshaun Watson hasn't played well last couple of years, but he has a high upside, and he's only 29 (laughs) years old. See, here's a problem with the get-up shows, because they act like they're national, and then they still talk about the New York teams, like they're the most important things in the NFL, because mm-hmm. it's so weird that this is about trading Deshaun Watson, who, no, has not lived up to the expectations in Cleveland, but is considered, when he does play to the top of his ability, like a top five, for sure, like top seven quarterback in the NFL. That's where he was. He was leading the league in passing his last full good season for Houston. And this is phrased totally from the from the aspect of like the New York Giants need this guy and it's like yeah but the Browns are the ones who made all this investment and they want a good guy at quarterback and he's like eh, they can just kind of play out the string with Joe Flacco, Dan- Danny Dimes he'll have a, a year left this will be the price tag for it. and then they're just the Browns again who cares I have to cor- I don't get it <laughs> I have to correct something that I said because Deshaun Watson's base in 24 is 46 million his cap hit is 63 9 so I don't know it, what they would have to do in terms of a. I, I, they've already restructured it, so I don't know enough about how the cap works or how and this how kind of works. In this kind of a deal too, works yeah. where they would have to make it fit for the New York Giants. If you're talking about just on the field, they the thinking is that Deshaun Watson makes the Giants now able to compete where Daniel Jones could not make them compete. But your the Cleveland Browns, Kevin Stefanski doesn't make the coaching moves he made in the offseason. I mean, reshaping the entire offensive coaching staff because Deshaun Watson has to work for Cleveland. He's not doing this, and then all of a sudden they're just going to trade Deshaun. This might be a Watson trade might be in the works in two years if things fall off the rails this season and then they go bad next season. But you don't make the moves you did for Stefanski for Cleveland if you're just saying, okay, well, now let's just bring in Daniel Jones and we can rid ourselves of Watson. I would love to have that happen. I do not want Deshaun Watson starting for the Cleveland Browns this year. But sorry, Browns fans that feel similarly to me, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, like I don't think the the Giants is the the right partner here for it because I would think that the Browns would, if they were going to move on from Watson, would want to have at least an idea of like this is the next step that sure. we're going quarterback, not like yeah, we'll just take some guys, we'll finally offload this contract, and, and we'll go from there. So the the reasoning behind what Tannenbaum is saying, eh, I don't know if I really buy that, but I do. I am interested. I am intrigued by this notion of could they move Deshaun Watson before the end of the contract? And what would that look like? What would they want to bring in? But that's where it falls apart for me from this clip because not just the, you know, everything they've put in for this, but, you know, also what they put in to get Deshaun Watson. Why would they want to go off that right. for? Yeah, we'll get a rental year from Danny Dimes and then we'll figure it out. So then they that's what this would be. And there is that's just wasting three seasons and multiple years of first round draft picks. There is talk that Daniel Jones will be moved in the in the offseason and fine, but that's not something the Cleveland Browns are going to be entertaining. Like there's just no way for what you said that they're going to move off Deshaun Watson right now. He is going to be the starting quarterback, barring an injury, starting quarterback for the Cleveland well, start, I guess barring an injury or his own behavior. No way he doesn't start for the Browns in 24 and probably 25. There's just been put, there's too much that's been put into this for them to not give it at least, at least a season or two. 
And to go back to your point about what I hate it, what Kevin Stefanski and they did with the coaching staff, basically retooling the entire offensive staff. It does not appear organizationally now. You never know if you can get if you can get an owner on the horn and say, "Hey, we're offering you this." Things can happen amongst NFL owners, but from what the the team is actively doing, it does appear that their goal is to still get this to work, and they're trying to find that balance of Kevin Stefanski's offense. How much does it have to change and mold to be the right fit for Deshaun Watson? But I'm also I think we're both on record with this that if you're looking for 2020 Houston Deshaun Watson. You're going to be looking, I think, for the rest of time. I don't think that player is coming back. No, but if you can, if you can get some of it, a fraction of it, Baker. What would the as a Browns fan? What would the fraction of Watson from 2020? What's the reasonable expectation this year? Reasonable? I mean, I mean, I think you got to hope you get at least 80 percent of it right. Thinking 60 to 80. Yeah, I mean, you for you, this to you be a success. Think, I don't know if we're going to get that, but you would think you would need. I thought it was interesting, guys, that. Reports started to surface last week regarding Watson that the NFL has said if more things come out, he may end up getting suspended more than the 11 games he already has. And that started making me think, is there something brewing? Is there news out there that we don't know that is Watson even going to be able to play next well, year? He's still got, I think it's at least two of the uh, it was lawsuits. In the news last week. He, something he has, happened. Have to, yeah. I think he's going to be... Uh, deposed again for one of the two remaining lawsuits against him. Like there so, were there were twenty six, right, and twenty four have been. Settled. I believe that's the number. Yeah. So the, he's still not out of the woods yet, there yet. I don't think. I, I don't think anything will come of those in terms of him being deposed between now and the start of the the regular season. Season, excuse me, but yeah, there, there's just it's <laughs> there's just never it's never quiet with Deshaun Watson. That 80% number you throw out of like, what can he be of 2020 Deshaun Watson? That also feels to me like the ceiling. Yeah. That like, I don't think we're going to see, you know, however you quantify that. If you just do it straight up by stats or, you know, actually how he plays or team wins, whatever that kind of, you know, it when you see it, that like, this isn't quite what, what you got to, but it gets closer there. Arguably, he's been at like 50% of that player than his 50, time. 50% of 50% of the player. Maybe <laughs> the Browns should have hired Bill O'Brien to recapture some of the magic. If, if, if the Giants were able to come in and say Daniel Jones in a one, then you can magically make the cap work. Great. But <laughs> that's just not the case. Tannenbaum also floated the idea of Chicago trading for Justin Fields to Pittsburgh for a second rounder. And why would Chicago do that? Well, they've got the number one pick in the draft. And up next, looks like there's going to be a run of QBs in the draft again. Bishop and Friends on the fan. This Buckeye Football Impact Report is brought to you locally by Credit Union of Ohio and by Hyde Park Prime Steakhouse. On the fan, Ohio's sports destination. Ohio State Football. Without question, one of the biggest additions was adding Will Howard to the Ohio State football program at the quarterback position. He comes from Kansas State. Threat of both passing and running the football. Ryan Day on the anticipation that Will Howard comes in ready to be the starter. Yeah. You know, listen, Will Will came here to play football. You know, I hope that's his mentality. You know, and I hope all the guys have that mentality. So, you know, he's going to learn the offense and get going. But he's done a great job so far with the feedback. A big part of um, the quarterback play here is is what goes on in that, that weight room with Coach Mick. 
the leadership and you know the way that you know, guys work you have to build credibility up amongst your teammates and um and that's a big part of it you know we talk to quarterbacks about this all the time talk to you know about you know to cj when, when he first went to the nfl is like you have to endear yourself into that building and you have to earn the respect of the guys in the building and i think you know will's doing that this report brought to you by safe light auto glass this is paul keels on the ohio state sports network from learfield Hi, this is Paul Keels. This Buckeye season, don't let a broken windshield ruin your game plan. Safelight Auto Glass makes it easy to get your windshield fixed with their mobile glass shops all over central Ohio. They can come to you anywhere, giving Buckeye fans more time for game time. OH? Man, I love that. Schedule at Safelight.com. Safelight Auto Glass is a proud sponsor of Ohio State Athletics. Libman makes a difference. The Libman Mop Crew is a part of our winning team. The Libman Mop Crew makes sure the hardwood is safe and clean for the players every game at the Schottenstein Center. No matter what kind of flooring you have at your home court, Libman has the tools to keep it clean. Our mops, brooms, and brushes are proudly family-made in the USA. Visit Libman.com to see our whole lineup and for a store locator. That's Libman.com. Libman, proud sponsor of Ohio State Athletics. Is it time to upgrade your financial situation? Whether you're shooting for financial goals or making a fast break towards savings, Credit Union of Ohio is on your team. If you live in Central or Northeast Ohio, you could score big with affordable loans and competitive savings. Enjoy Credit Union of Ohio's fast and easy online application process and make a slam dunk when it comes to your financial needs. Start winning at cuofohio.org. That's cuofohio.org. Federally insured by NCUA. For more than 35 years, Hyde Park Prime Steakhouse has been known by Buckeye Nation as serving the best steaks in the city. Our thick-cut, aged steaks have been a staple in Columbus with three locations in Upper Arlington, Dublin, and downtown. Hyde Park is proud to introduce our newly added wine room at the downtown Columbus location, where a new elegance in dining will surround you. And coupled with live entertainment every weekend, Hyde Park will be the perfect setting for any occasion or the perfect night out. Hyde Park is a proud sponsor of Ohio State Athletics. Go by us. The best hair on the air. You are listening to Bishop and Friends. Two things before we get into Field Yates' mock draft. One, I saw this from friend of the program, John Breach, said, Fun President's Day fact, Miami of Ohio is the only university in the country that has produced a U.S. president, who apparently was Benjamin Harrison, class of 1852 at Miami, a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Ben Roethlisberger, and this one I'm going to have to look up because he didn't put the name, but said a Super Bowl winning head coach, so I'm not sure who that is, but congratulations to Miami University down there in Oxford. You well, guys sit atop President's Day. Let's think about that. So Roethlisberger, a great quarterback, the worst. Uh, was it Benjamin Harrison as a president? Like, what did he ever really accomplish? So, sure, these guys have some notoriety to their name. It's going to go back around to something about OU. But honestly, they just it's just <laughs> bums. That, that's just really what they are. He's, he's celebrating bums. And, and Miami of Ohio creates a lot of them. Rich bums. But go Bobcats. I was also looking around to figure out what what's... I mean, the, the, the uh, an NFL team's cap or contract thing is just a giant puzzle. And so to get exact or a little bit clearer picture of what's happening with watson's contract uh somebody much smarter than i in front of the program zach jackson has of the athletic when the new league year opens up in march or starts in march browns will have about six million dollars in cap space and are gonna have to rework some contract 
of several of their players in order to bring in somebody, anybody. That's what Maybe GM Bo Bishop has said all year right. long. And so Watson right now is set to carry a salary cap number of about $63 million. That's for the next three seasons. The team does have a right to rework that deal and push the money into the future. His 2024 cap number could be reduced to around $28 million, freeing the Browns up with about $35 million of cap space. And that's a ton of flexibility that they could take a big swing with in the offseason. So that's a cool scenario for Cleveland. Uh, to get some cap flexibility there what remains to be seen if that happens. Which is why yeah, it's really more like cap management than yep. anything. Like everybody, oh, they've only got this much cap or they've got this much to work with. Yeah, when you already have it and you're in a situation where you've got a ton of cap to work with, good. You, your group of accountants has done their job. But whenever I hear that people are over or that this is going to be an issue or look at all the dead cap on this or look at how much of cap it's going to be, like they always get it worked out. If they want a player... You it, like it can off on a whole team thing, then that can start to to make some decisions. And there are sometimes that there are cap casualties, but generally, if a team wants a player, they can figure out a way to make it work on the books. John Harbaugh graduated from Miami of Ohio. Oh, so he is the Super Bowl winning coach slash bum uh, that the Red Hawks are touting. There is also a former player for Miami of Ohio who won a Super Bowl. He was the Jets coach when Joe Namath won it. So his. Guys, also, sorry, uh, Web Eubank. That's what I'm looking up. Oh, yeah, okay. sorry about yeah. that. Yeah, so yeah, so you got you got you got Eubank there. Um, he's from Oxford, Ohio, and as I said, played for Miami. But he he coached he coached the Browns too. Back in 1849 to or 1949, sorry, to 1953, he was a Browns assistant coach. Did not win a Super Bowl with the Browns. No, they've won. The Super Bowl didn't exist at that time. And uh, have the Browns ever won a Super Bowl, sir? Is that I don't know. Doing, off top of my are head. we doing a mock draft thing here? <laughs> I'm not responding to any of this. This Miami. Let's work on getting to one fluff, first. This Brown slander. First off, how dare you? Happy President's Day, everybody. Except for Miami. So a couple of weeks ago, we went over the mock draft or the first round one that Mel Kiper had put out, and then Field Yates puts his out, and it does appear that a pattern is holding. And I, you know, I've clicked on some other ones that have shown up out there, but it. It's really starting to trend into one of those years. And this happens, it feels like now, every other year, maybe even years in a row, that it's going to be a run of quarterbacks right at the top. Will that cause people to to start doing trades? We'll see what the rest of the top 10 looks at, looks like once the draft actually commences. But people seem pretty locked in. The guys who like pay attention to draft stuff. And this is, you know, partly one, their opinion, but two, also reporting on what they're hearing that Caleb Williams, number one of the bears. We've all felt pretty, pretty secure in that one. What are they going to do with fields? Yeah, that's still up in the air question, but I think they're going to use the number one pick on Caleb Williams. Then commanders, they seem to be trending towards LSU quarterback, Jaden Daniels, and then the Patriots at number three, they need a quarterback. And the third guy off the board is likely going to be Drake May. Maybe the Jaden Daniels and Drake May one can go in a different order. It just feels like with Sam Howell also there that maybe the commanders don't want to go straight up for, you know, another UNC quarterback who was behind Sam Howell while he was there. But it's going to be three quarterbacks, I think, back to back to back off the top of the board. I wonder which of the two is going to be this year's Anthony Richardson. What do you mean? I mean, which one's going to be the Bryce Young? Would you rather be Anthony Richardson or Bryce Young from the past year? I guess Anthony Richardson right now, better better organization, and they're still... I mean, there's... I don't know what to make of Bryce Young. 
Because Richardson at least looked good periodic. I mean, not that Bryce Young didn't have bright spots, but we had so much less of him, so the good stands out a little bit more. So you want to be this year's CJ Stroud. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> Which one's going to be this year's CJ Stroud? That seems tough. I don't know. I don't know if any of them are in a position with these teams to do it. I think that the best, the one who's going to have his best rookie year, though, has a, a pretty high chance of being Jaden Daniels because of that extra athletic ability he has. And that's something that young quarterbacks can, when they have that ability, like at a really high level that they can lean on. I mean, remember what Justin Fields was doing once they finally gave him the offense. He didn't have anybody to throw to, but he could run around and, and make stuff happen with his legs. Jaden Daniels, based on the collegiate stats, might even be a better runner than somebody like Justin Fields. So I'm looking, you know, not just because he also played for this franchise, but like an RG3 type rookie year. But I don't know if that means he's going to have a great career, but I do think his rookie situation is probably going to be the best. Plus, they're probably the best team of those three. Not that the commanders are all that great. Not much better, but yeah. But they've got a good defense. They still have some pieces on offense. I think he would be in the best situation year one. I wonder if any of them are going to be taking that S2 test. I don't know if you saw the news last week where athletes first told NFL teams, yeah, hey, our players aren't really taking those cognitive tests. Like, they already did away with the Wonderlick, but it was that test that CJ took last mm-hmm. year that he apparently bombed. And I'd always thought that this was kind of a way by the Texans to leak that information to get his stock to fall a little bit. And so they could be there to pick him up because it was the football people in Carolina that wanted Stroud, but it was nosy David Tepper that made the call for Bryce Young. And so athletes first do represent Stroud, but I don't think they represent any of the quarterbacks that you've just mentioned or even J.J. McCarthy or Bo Nix. But it's like, is anybody going to be taking this cognition? Any of the cognitive tests or any of that nonsense even going to be done with this year? And that's going to be really interesting to see because it does feel like it's going to be this run on quarterbacks. And we did eventually get that, what, it was one, two, and four last year, right? That sounds right. Because two and three was Stroud and uh, Anderson Anderson. to the Texans. And then four, I believe, was Richardson. So kind of the same thing. But... You bring up the stuff with Stroud. What are going to be the smoke screens about these guys as the combine comes up next week, and then a you know a little bit over a month later in April, you actually have the draft. What are going to be these, or have they advanced to a point where people aren't buying them as much, and they're not going to be thrown out there? But they are. There's always somebody trying to take down a quarterback, and it's that it's that question of wait, is this somebody just hoping that they can get a quarterback into a certain position so that they can draft them? Or is this real stuff that actual scouts are talking about? Either way, I think we're still going to see that stuff and it's nonsense, but it changes people's opinions. It's not always nonsense. A lot of times it feels like this is silly season. If the bears take Williams, have they dealt fields by then? Does fields get dealt next week? So the combine starts on Monday. You would think is a deal made for Justin Fields done before they pack up and leave a week from Sunday. Because I feel like Fields, his value goes down. They're like, well, you already drafted a quarterback. So you would think they'd want to do it before the draft. Obviously, if they were trading the number one pick, they'd have to do the draft. But they'll be everybody from the NFL will be in Indianapolis next week for the combine. And we'll see if any deals go down there. For what it's worth, the Buckeyes in Field Yates' mock draft, just one guy in the first round, Marv, of course, yep. going number four to the Cardinals. Really, Mike Hall's the only other guy that's like been close to on the board, but he's not a first-rounder for them, so he doesn't show up in a lot of these mock drafts. And for the Bengals, 18th overall pick, an offensive tackle out of Oregon State. Different than the Bama offensive tackle we were talking about the it's, other week, but it's still an offensive tackle. Doesn't every mock have the Bengals at 18 taking an offensive tackle? They're just going to take tackles Try it again. until they get a great one. It's got to happen at some point. Three things on a Monday up next. Bishop and Friends on the fan. We have so many local shows, I can't fit them in a 10-second promo. 
So let's just say we're live and local all damn day. The mission. Bo knows many people. He talks to the interesting ones on this show. This is Bishop and Friends. Real quick update. We have now found that... Uh, well, I'm sorry, Reese. We have I'm to keep going over I'm not recognizing this segment. The or last segment. <laughs> the Miami of Ohio actually has three alumni Super Bowl winning head coach. Uh, Webb Eubank, who coached the Jets to the Super Bowl three championship. We also pointed out that Sean McVay went there, who, of course, was the Rams head coach when they won a Super Bowl a few years ago. And then John Harbaugh, coach of the Ravens, won a Super Bowl all the way back in, God, that was January of 2013 at this point. I Cradle think. of coaches. <laughs> Apparently. Go Bobcats. Anyway, the Daily Fan Poll is sponsored by <laughs> ER Auto Care, Masters of Our Craft. How many of their final five regular season games will the Ohio State men's basketball team win? They're at Minnesota on Thursday. All five, four, two or three, zero or one are your four options. 65% of respondents to the Daily Fan Poll say they're going to win two or three of their final five games. It's really easy to jump on the two to three train, and I think that's where I, I do want to go. I think there's some, you know, the Michigan one at home is winnable, and then, you get, then you're talking about winning any of the other ones that are out there. It's it's not going to be easy. The three of them are on the road, and of course this team, yeah, sure, they have a different makeup after we saw the one game against Purdue, but they've not been good on the road in over a year at this point. So I think I'm going to stick with the majority there on the two to three. Five seems impossible I don't think four would happen either. I certainly think they break the 400 plus day true road streak. Like that skid gets halted. I think either at Minnesota or at Michigan state, if they lose at Minnesota, that will be the program record 17 straight road losses. But Hey, things are at least looking up. There's only five games left, but you only got, can go up from here. Yeah. And you've got some confidence up now. to Will Wade's doorstep with a big bag of cash. Time for three things. One, two, one, two, three things. Sponsored by Custom Air. Custom Air. Custom Solutions. Custom Comfort. First one for me, this from the Corrections Department. Uh, I was dead wrong about the weather forecast on Friday. I should have I should have trusted in it. But we had, you know, earlier yeah. in the week, a snowstorm was supposed to hit us, and it, bloop, it just I popped. I chastised Baker on the Saturday show about it. <laughs> um, I, I didn't have a problem with it. I actually got up Saturday yeah. morning and, and did some shoveling. I kind of like when there's you know, a little bit of the change in weather. Turns out it got, it got sunny enough throughout Saturday that it probably all would have melted. All my neighbors who didn't shovel just ended up with a clear driveway by the end of the year. But the ironic thing was I ended up having to pick somebody up at the air airport and JLo and I were driving over there and it was the only like it was like the worst part of the two hours of the snow like the the worst part of it and that was happened to be the time we had to be driving to and from the airport it probably took us 90 minutes total but I was saying like we cannot die in a fiery snow car crash after I said I don't believe it's gonna snow earlier in the show but you asked you, you wanted for it I'll make this my first thing because I told Ryan to go bleep himself on Saturday because of what we got Friday afternoon so you can go bleep yourself as well I want none of this I want it to go back to I want it to be 60 and just stay 60 well if that was an option sure but 50 to 60 the next three days that's what I want don't go back to this 
Oh, well, that was your first thing. Yeah, okay. was, I made it my first thing. Now. <laughs> Guys, I've been, now I'm uh, mad. I've been meaning to get Again. this in the show the past <laughs> couple days. Francis Marion Woman Center Lauren Taylor set the NCAA record for all divisions with 44 rebounds in their win over North Greenville on Thursday night. She surpassed the old record of 36 by Christine DeSane for Division Two. She was of West Virginia Tech. And then the NCAA mark of 40 by Deborah Temple of Delta State set 1983. She also had 34 points in the game, which was a career high. It's her 18th double-double of the season. A lot of missed shots in that game, I guess. But yeah, kudos to her for getting on the glass. Second one for me, um, I don't know if I've ever... It's not like I'm that great in any athletic activity that I've done in my entire life, but we went bowling this weekend looking for something to do. It was cold out and there was snow on the ground. Oh, let's do something that's inside, but it's still active. So we go bowling. I managed to just break 100. Literally had to hit two more pins on the final frame. I got the extra frame on the 10th frame. I did two more pins to get to 100. Got there. The next game I started, and I was like, I feel like I'm releasing the ball a little bit too early. Let's try to correct that. And I took a step up, and then I don't know. I couldn't remember which leg I was stepping forward with first, and then I was real jerky. I felt like for the first time in my life, I legitimately had the yips. I did not know. I was like, what was I doing just a few minutes ago on this bowling alley that was working for me, and now it's not. I started the second game. This is how inconsistent it was. One pin, gutter ball, strike, gutter ball, gutter ball, strike. And I have no idea how I did it, and I have no idea why it worked for the ones that were strikes versus the ones that were gutter balls. It, it Something messed me up in between games. I'll make this my second thing, because I know we are a little short on time with the Ohio State Men's Basketball Coaches Show coming up after this, but where are you guys on adults and bumper bowling no completely no shouldn't do it unless you're playing with your kids i would say no but i don't care if somebody wants to play if it's just you and your buddies having a fun time with some adult pops or even if there are no adult pops but there are kids around like you're just you're not nobody's trying to pull in the gutter what about the little dinosaur that you can just for the really little kids (laughs) where they just roll it down adults shouldn't use that one but (laughs) just do the uh, the bumpers Especially if you're drinking, you might trip over. <laughs> yeah, you, that's definitely a hazard. Guys, so there were two Stadium Series games at MetLife Stadium on Saturday. It was the Flyers and the Devils. The Flyers got off the bus and jogged into the stadium in gray sweatsuits like Rocky. <laughs> Ohio State, when you play your Stadium Series game, I need something cool like that, like Civil War gear or like dress up like the best damn band in the land and go into the stadium. I need something cool, Jackets. What? Last one for me, real quick. Um, I was at a restaurant, and it was a little bit nicer, so it had, like, the mouthwash in there, and I went for it because I was like, ah, I never do that. I don't get it. I don't understand why there's mouthwash in. I get people, I know, I understand it to freshen your breath and everything, but it was very odd to do that and then go back to the table and still have food. Speaking of do it at the end. things in your mouth, I wonder if The Rock will threaten to slap the taste out of anybody's mouth today. He's the Grand Marshal of the Daytona 500. It's moved to 4 o'clock because of rain yesterday. If you were looking for, oh, there's nothing on tonight. Well, the Daytona 500's on this afternoon. There you go. Zed Key, have a game yesterday. There we go. That's all from us. We'll be back tomorrow. The Ohio State Men's Basketball Coaches Show is coming up. After that, a little bit of Rothman and Ice, Bishop and Friends, right here on The Fan. Your Jackets flagship station since day one. All the goals, all the action, all the memories. Your home for the Columbus Blue Jackets, the fan Ohio sports destination.
It's a fan action update. This action update is brought to you by ESPN Bet. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. The MLS season opens up this weekend. The crews start off the season with Atlanta. The ESPN Bet MLS Cup odds this year have Miami as the favorite at plus 325. The crew are tied with LAFC with the second best odds to win the MLS Cup at 8-1. FC Cincinnati's 10-1 for your ESPN Bet action update. I'm Scotty Vegas. Broadcasting from the Lindsay Honda Studios. Honda makes the cars. Lindsay makes the difference. Visit lindsayhonda.com. WBNSFM, 